0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, your cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, this show is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, Seeds Here Now, best in the business. Hit them up if you want guarantee, not just on germination but satisfaction. Why would you mess with shit genetics? They don't stock them. Hit them up. And our newest sponsor, we are stoked, stoked, stoked to have them on board Radio Ridge Nursery. These guys have got you sorted if you need the best clones in the game. They got breeder cuts of many of the most elusive cultivars out there. All them strands, stranders with a D. You know it, hit them up. They're the ones. They're amazing. We love them. And as always, a big thank you to Organic Gardening Solutions. Your one-stop shop for all things organic. Hit them up if you want to grow that top shelf. And last but not least, 420 Australia. Best 420 apparel in the game. Even if you're not in Australia, it still makes perfect sense for you to buy this stuff. I mean, come on. As always, a big shout-out to the one and only Dragonfly Earth Medicine. We love y'all. Quick shout-out to the Patreon gang. Love you guys a long time. On this episode, we are joined by the one and only Matt Wright 2.0. Hope you guys are ready for some fun. This one was a blast to record. we got three hours deep this time. Plenty of stuff to listen to. Hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Much love, gang. Let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big thank you and welcome to one of our favorite guests on the show, big fan, favorite, and a personal favorite of my own. Thanks for making the part two happen, my man, Matt Wright. Thanks for joining us.
1: Happy to, happy to.
0: So, first question, what are you currently smoking on?
1: Um, you know, someone sent in some Cookie Berry Crunch from, uh, I think Oregon? Oregon, his and her grow. They were one of the last people keeping Medicropper's uh, special cut of it, and they thought they lost it, and they sent it in. And then I also have some um, something called Cult Cake from a local grower, King Cultivars, and it's uh, part cheesecake from Mad Scientist Genetics, and uh, uh, I want to say Euphoria, Euphoria Cake, or something from Mad Scientist Genetics—a combination of it. Cool, cool.
0: And Jesus, Medicropper, it's been a minute since I've heard that name. I remember when I was first getting into weed, I was watching his videos on YouTube. Did you ever interact with him much?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, I sent him the Cookie Berry Crunch and stuff to run. He was a real nice dude, but um, we never got real close and then he disappeared.
0: Yeah, I remember that. He dropped off and then he like put up a post being like, I'm in New Zealand and I was like, what? And then like I think that just fell through as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, he popped up maybe, I want to say five months ago, but, and I talked to him for like a second just to ask him if he still had that gut, and he's like, no, I don't still have it. I don't have anything.
0: Oh, that's a bummer. That was, that was interesting, man, because I think I've mentioned this to you on Instagram. I love the, uh, the names of your strains. I can, like, I hear the name and I'm like, that's a Matt Riot strain, and I got to admit, I I (laughs) stole that line from him because he was the one who was talking about it in his videos. He was like... Heard the cookie berry crunch, and he's like, that's a Matt Wright strain.
1: <laughs> yeah, my naming conventions are a little off. Some people don't like them at all. Like, the Cokehead Slut was not super popular, but, you know, it is what it is.
0: That's so funny, because I literally had a question about that, which I guess we're going to jump to right now. I was going to say, um, yeah, like, when when I was cruising your site, like, an hour ago, I saw the Cokehead Slut, and I just started laughing. I was like, fuck, that's a good name. I love that on so many levels. Do you feel like strain names should be embodying of kind of like what the strain has to offer? Or do you think like a good strain name is a good strain name?
1: You know, I look at it like art, man. Um, everything that 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 I do with breeding, I look at like art, you know. Um, I've always been a musician and stuff like that. And uh, art's been a big part of my life. And I feel like, you know, like... The ultimate outcome of reading is is what your desired goal is, and it's almost like having a, a canvas that you're painting, and you have that ultimate desired goal, and if you're not happy with it, you, you'll throw it away, you know? And all of that comes around, and then all the way to naming that painting. And um, it's just whatever mood I'm in, whatever I'm thinking about, whatever possessed me to make that creation, you know, that's that all goes into it.
0: Yeah, perfect, okay. So, if you had a strain that you felt like was bang on a particular flavor, let's just say it's like it's bang on cherries or something. Do you feel like you really want to call it like have cherries in the name or that doesn't really influence you so much?
1: Um, some of the time, yeah, but like uh, I see a lot of names out there like cookies that doesn't taste like fucking cookies, but it's it's been established as, you know, this is cookies, this is the look, this is the the shit. You know, um, so I've been trying to, to migrate away from that. But like with my banana stuff, obviously the banana OG was a big one. And so that that's usually in the names because the terpene profile and the way I, I took the line was totally banana. Um, so when it comes to flavors, sometimes if there's like an amplified flavor, usually that'll be in the name. Yeah,
0: of course, of course. So a lot has happened since we last spoke. So give me a bit of a rundown. What are you currently up to?
1: Um, right now I'm going through the whole blue, the blue lines. Um, that's always been a big passion of mine was the blue stuff. Not just because of the, the terpene profile, which is my favorite terpene profile, the true blueberry jam, blueberry muffins type terpenes, but, um, the high, the high from very, very select special blueberry, uh, like the Highland Thai type highs. Um, it's, it's clear, clear headed. Hmm very euphoric in many ways, but not slammingly potent. It's, it's really hard to describe to someone. Like a lot of modern um, a lot of modern smokers, uh, people from the generation right below mine, they probably wouldn't see m- as much value in it as I do because a lot of them are used to the, the narcotic Afghani type highs, but uh, yeah, this is special to me. And I lost my Riot Berry OG mom in a tissue culture debacle, which we can talk about later if you want. Um, Let's talk about it now. Mooney Moon, what do you got to say? I'll, you know, I have to be careful because I don't want to get uh, in trouble legally because he's a little rat. But, um, yeah, <laughs> he killed. He literally killed everything that I owned, everything that I owned. Um, his big takeaway was that he didn't physically touch it, but, um, and that's true. But the, the, the thing was he, he had a business – Um, I was moving and he's like, Hey, let me, let me take your mom's and I'll hold them for you while you move and I'll tissue culture them while I'm doing that. So he sent someone up to pick them up. He supposedly had a facility in LA with this dude, dude came, picked him up. I'm, I, I stayed in contact with the dude and Mooney during all of this. And no one mentioned anything about them just fucking killing everything. And, uh, it took me moving and being like, yo, I'm coming to get my shit. You know, I'm sending someone to come get my shit now. You know, I had to get real mean about it. And uh, when I did, I found out everything was just liquid in bags. No more moms. They just took cuts off shit, threw it in bags in a box. And that was it. Been sitting there for months. Dude, that's
0: so brutal to hear. I actually uh, lost my, uh, what we how would you call it, you know, my, my strain that I've been working on for the longest time, Raspberry Mama. And I was so devastated when I found out that it was it was just gone, you know, like no one still has it. I was so bummed out. But then... I saw the silver lining. It kind of forces you to move on. Is that how you feel yeah, about does. this situation?
1: Yeah, um, there is a few few good things to come from it. One, um, I was going to start working heavily with Moon, so I, I learned he was a little piece of shit from the beginning, which is cool. Um, secondly, yeah, I, it's forced me to look in all different directions, um, and I get to rework all those blueberry lines, the old blue sativa lines that I love, so that's kind of cool to be able to do it again. And thirdly, I got to see who my my real friends were. There was a lot of people that reached out and were like, hey, I got this of yours. I'm sending it like right now, you know, without me even asking. It it was was pretty heartwarming, you know? And then I also got to see who was true to their word. Um, There were several people that I made trades with, uh, like $10,000 worth of my spray, reversal spray. Um, And it was right before I did this with Moon because I always want to have a plan B just in case something fucks up, right? And uh, I did a big trade with a few people, a few different people. And I said, look, if I ever lose anything, I wanna be able to grab certain cuts back right away. So, you know, just this is just a card in pocket. And they're like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Now they have all these fem lines out and the second I needed them, they're like, yeah, I don't got anything for you, bro. So, yeah.
0: Fuck, it's kinda of par for the course, isn't it?
1: It is, it is, but you know, again, now I know that they're they're, you know, who they are.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's uh it's almost like that legend OG situation where you're almost like just testing people, seeing who's going to be the real homies.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, you brought up the blueberry thing. That's interesting cuz it was only about like 2 days ago I saw Swami, not the uh the one who walks around in the white garb, but uh the the one who fucks with those cool genetics, Swami seeds. They were saying something about how, you know, it seems like Basically, DJ Short's work has hit a dead end and they came to that conclusion by the fact that JD's work with it has just been You know in their opinion quite lacklustre. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about the idea that you know, the work has been somewhat bottlenecked?
1: Well There's a few there's a few levels to that question. You got to start off with the source Swami Swami's He doesn't know jack shit about breeding. Neither does Gascanistan. I've put them both under the fucking the fire you know on my live feed and otherwise they wouldn't come on but um what they were doing was attempting to make the one from um uh, uh, uh the other asshole i can't remember his name but um who is it is it mountain organics or coot no coots coot. Coot, yeah. yeah so they were trying to make that look like an old dj Shortline by saying it was highland tie and all this shit and i actually popped a bunch of it to see and there's no relation at all in any of that to the blueberry so there is that factor to it. They don't. I don't think they have a right, nor the history that they claim being a part of Brotherhood of Eternal Love. It seems like a lot of liars pull from that Brotherhood of Eternal Love fucking card pack, Golden Coast, you know, idiots like that. Um, but yeah, like, but I will say that DJ's lines have transformed a lot over the years, and, and the Blueberry Indica stuff, the Afghani-based stuff, it's not particularly blueberry anymore. Um, you know, I have a bunch of that running with all the old blueberries right now, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's due to inbreeding, not being able to take it back in that direction, maybe not a want to, to visit that direction anymore. Um, but then I see him release stuff like Newberry, and I haven't run that, so I can't comment on that. I don't know if he's trying to go back in that direction, but, you know, I'm not a big fan of any of the modern blueberry stuff. Um, I like that uh, JD's going towards the F-13 and stuff like that. It's one of the best uh, DJ lines ever. And he's been real cool, easy to talk to. Um, DJ, not so much. DJ's not as easy to talk to. Um, when I, the last time, I've met him several times, but the last time I saw him, he, he told me that my company was not owned by me. So I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs>
0: interesting observation. <laughs> yeah,
1: I thought, I, He's like, yeah, you don't you don't own Riot Seeds. There's a guy named Riot Solly Shechter that owns Riot Seeds, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he owns Oregon Seed Bank. Uh, he's a cool dude, but yeah, no, he doesn't own my company. He's like, no, mm, no, nah, I think he owns Riot Seeds, and I was like, okay, cool, nice seeing you, dude. Nice seeing you again, DJ.
0: <laughs> yeah wow well, yeah i remember at emerald cup i was able to smoke on his one of his newest strains first light and that was very much drawing from the more kind of flow flavors and terpenes. so i think i would agree with you on that blueberry comment about how it's not so present anymore
1: yeah yeah i wish i wish it were um when i had my riot berry cup before moon had so graciously murdered it Um, I, I offered it to DJ because it was so, it was, it was so much in the direction of the blueberry jam, very purple, looked a lot like Oregon purple tie. So I figured, man, this is like, it's, it's a lot, it's bred in the direction of the baseline, like the Oregon purple tie, but with all the blueberry traits, um, blueberry terps and everything. And I offered it to him. He just was not fucking interested in it. I don't know if he didn't believe me or if he just didn't want to go that direction and you know, that's his prerogative, but yeah, um, I tried offering that to him and I kind of wish he would have taken it now just so I could have gotten it back from someone.
0: Yeah, most certainly. So one of the newer blueberry kind of players to hit the scene is Humboldt Seed Company who have their blueberry muffin. Have you had a chance to try that? Oh,
1: what do you think? Um, all right. So I mean the blueberry muffin was a cut and it was my right berry OG cut and it's been that for, I don't know, over a decade. Um, now these guys supposedly are mountain people who don't really give two shits about naming conventions or otherwise, and that's fine and dandy. But um, you're going to offend people doing that, like putting out a Jack Hair that has nothing to do with Jack Hair uh, genetics, um, a headband that has nothing to do with headband. I know Ethos did that too. Just I don't know if that's a, a new thing to do, just steal a name and slap it on bullshit. But um, I've been told they're nice people. With all that said, I've been told they're nice people by by good friends of mine. So I don't want to go too heavy on it. But I know I have not tried it. Um, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where it's like kind of I want to try it. But at the same time, I don't want to support someone who just jacked me and used all the the energy I put behind something to make their line sell. You know?
0: Yeah. I, I was able to have a quick chat with the owner, Nat at the Emerald Cup and he definitely is a nice guy however I was also able to have a chat with their head breeder and I was less convinced when I was asking him some serious questions about you know like you know because they claim it's an F4 and then on the packaging it says it's an F8 so I was like so so which one is it and he didn't really give me a convincing answer and I was like oh okay cool man see you later
1: yeah it's an S1 F4 F8 BX yeah bro (laughs) yeah one of those fucking assholes yeah I don't know I don't know yeah, yeah I, I'm not a
0: fan. All right, well, let's uh let's keep on the naming conventions for a minute, right? I had a question thrown to me the other day, and I couldn't answer it, but I think you might be able to. Someone said they made they used some fem spray. They made the S ones. Pop the seeds and then they found some males in it and i was like well that could be like rogue pollen by the sounds of it but anyway let's just assume that it is from the pollen that, that they thought it was they were like if i make f2s with these seeds what would they be named and i was like would that be like s1 f2 like i don't know how to name it what would you
1: call that f2r yeah f2 yeah. reversal yeah i mean that's that's essentially what it would be but you know like the the male um, the males popping up from fem seeds is it's a it's a, uh, it's a it's a topic like a lot of people are very staunch in their beliefs on. Um, there was a paper the other day. I wish I had it handy um, that that my friend Bittersweet pulled up, and it was from I want to say the '70s talking about it, and it gave a full rundown of what's happening. And, and basically, it is that nature finds a way. That's the answer to it. Um, Now, when they're tested, I know Caleb from CSI Humboldt has sent in some stuff, uh, males that that have been found or or plants that have been expressing male found in S1s or or, or, uh, reversed hybrids, sending those in, and they're coming up testing as female, but they're only expressing male. Like, they're not expressing any female traits. So I don't know. It's it's a weird topic, man. It's not always going to be that way. But um, it tends to be the most common. The most common argument is that it's pollen contamination, and I think 99% of the time it will be pollen contamination. But there, there's many times where it's popped up, and there's no way it could be. And then you're left with, well, was it? Is it a, a female that's just expressing male? Is it an actual male with male chromosomes? Like, what, what is it? You know, and and it's diff- Seems to be different in every case.
0: Yeah, of course. So, something I really wanted to ask you, do you feel like the chemicals used in the reversal spray could be a contributing factor?
1: You know, I, I tend to think that, but, um, you know, there's people that disagree with me that have just as much time reversing and maybe even more experience reversing than I do. So, I take that into account as well. Um, I truly believe that, that in stressing a plant, you're, you're changing its epigenet- changing it at the epigenetic level and um you know i was watching an interesting ted talk the other day talking about epigenetics and it it had to do with rats um and and mothers nursing their their rats their ratlings whatever you fucking call little rats (laughs) ratons um ratitos uh (laughs) but yeah like if they didn't if they didn't nurse them it changed them it changed these little rats at the epigenetic level um and they're already born they already have their set set of genetics but at the epigenetic level, just by not nursing, it changed them for life, and it changed the future ch- children 10 generations in. So, I mean, I think that if you do it with uh, uh, stress and and strictly stress, because there's a lot more hormones that are involved in stress than there are in simple reversals where you're just blocking uh Blocking ethylene and um, and promoting gibberellin. Uh, you know that, those are the two main things that you need to reverse. However, in stress, there's a lot more hormones involved, and I think that it changes the the plants at the epigenetic level to be more prone to to herm stress. Um, if you go that method, which I believe Soma calls rotilization, um, which is a bullshit term in my eyes. Uh, but you know, torture your plants and. And make seeds that that is a method that people use or run them too long and have them herm and hopefully that makes seeds. That's it that's a method people use. Uh, it's not my choice method uh, and this is just a theory. I could be totally fucking wrong. I could be totally fucking wrong. It might one might be just as perfect as the other and not change anything at an epigenetic level. but until we have the ability to test for that, who knows? You
0: know, I, I totally agree. And the the effects of vertical transmission of stress are well
1: documented in humans. So, it makes sense that it would apply to plants, right? Um, I thought it was fascinating that 10 generations down, they're seeing that epigenetically everything is fully affected like up to 10 generations down. So, even people that smoke cigarettes, males that smoke cigarettes during conception, right? Or females that smoke cigarettes after conception and in the... Uh, and when when it's in her what i don't, what uterus. The fuck it, uterus that's the one <laughs> yeah here, here i am talking botany and i don't know shit about biology but um apparently yeah even smoking cigarettes and stuff like that affects generations ten generations down it, yeah. i mean if i believe the quote was if someone starts smoking at the age of nine to eleven it will affect their children's children ten generations down negatively that's i mean that that's mind-blowing so decisions we make as children can affect future generations scary yeah
0: for sure i've actually got this friend who's a doctor and he was saying to me that he finds it very peculiar how there's this similarity within uh unstable cannabis genetics and like really low socioeconomic humans in terms of everyone kind of jokingly acknowledges that like you know, women from low socioeconomic backgrounds tend to have kids at a younger age than if you're like kind of more or well off, you'd have them a little bit older and maybe a bit more financially set up. And he was like, it's so peculiar how it's like similar to plants, you know, like a, an unstable plant will hermaphrodite and want to produce these offspring at like a much earlier age. And it's got these epigenetic effects that go on for generations, much the same as like what happens in humans. I was like, fuck, I never thought of it like that. That's such a brilliant analogy.
1: Yeah, and that's along the same theory that I have, like, you know, if, it, if it's stress-induced stress, stress induced as opposed to just chemically induced without all the other stress markers, that it it changes shit at the epigenetic level.
0: For sure. So, while we're on the topic of femme Spray, we've seen a few new femme Sprays come out since we last spoke. What's your take on this? Like, different companies producing them.
1: Um, I think it's good, man. Like, it... In in business, you need you need competition to grow and push everyone to make the best product possible. So I think it's a great thing, dude. Um, I the one thing I don't like is is people putting out bullshit that's just gonna waste people's money and time though. And I've seen a lot of that, a fucking load of that. I can't tell you how many emails I get from like Tyrese's missed customers. Messaging me and saying, "Hey, this shit didn't work. I've got a fucking problem with it. You know, I've, I've got to rush through this, and then I have to rush ship them spray so they can finish their shit. You know, um, yeah. But uh, as far as uh, any competition, um, Hive, of course, he's been doing it longer than me. His spray is very effective. Um, CSI Humboldt was able to reverse triangle with it, and he we, he used my spray, his spray, and Hives, and Hives work great for it." great it did burn the plant up but in in reversals you're not really worried about keeping it pretty you're worried about pollen dumping and and his in that case was very effective so there there is also people need to keep in mind like there are certain sprays that are more effective for different phenos of different things so yeah i mean it's good it it drives us all to be better
0: yeah of course and i I give you a quick shout out my friend my fem seeds were made from your spray i 100 percent back it but uh yeah 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 one for the homies but uh yeah
1: yeah that's mo- awesome
0: most notably with these new femme sprays coming out we've seen our buddy swerve put up a post a while back saying like oh you know i'm thinking of offering a new spray and the part which caught my eye was that he said like you know it's going to be done properly and i guess the implication was that others on the market are maybe not done properly how do you feel about that
1: uh, swears a little bitch. So, I mean, it, he's going to take shots at anyone. He's going to try to come in anywhere in the market. Like, if you look at how he, the quality of his seeds and how he did it, producing fucking auto-flowering herms in a line that was supposed to be neither, um, it's probably going to be the same with this spray. He's never been really effective uh, at, at doing reversals. Again, tons of pollen contamination and tons of males in a lot of his lines. Um, and he's kind of doing it just to be an asshole. But whatever, more power to him. Bring on the competition, motherfucker. That's what I say.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're listening Swerve, shout out, bro. You can come on soon. I know we've been talking about it. <laughs> I'm such
1: a little bitch.
0: Oh, yeah, but he's got a story to tell as well. And I want to he hear d- it.
1: You know, I, and even though I don't like Swerve, um, I will say a lot of the OGs in the market, um, the OG Kushes were based on his seed line. Like I, a lot of people renamed a lot of his lines. Um, so I'll give credit where it's due to that dude on that. But it's just... You know, at the first Emerald Cup, I finally got to see him in person, and we were not cool. And uh, it was right after I had my interaction with uh, dipshit Dave from Golden Coast, and um, I walked up behind him, threw him in a quick choke, and uh, then I let go because I was like, oh, okay, I'm being an asshole now, kind of being a bully on this little kid. And uh, then he walked up, and he was being he was being nice after, and he's like, yo, you know, it's you know, we're both OGs, blah blah blah, and I was like, you know what? If you're changing, if you're changing your attitude in life and shit, that's cool, you know. Uh, hit me up. Here's my number. And I, I shit you not, the day I get home, he's already talking shit. And it's just like, wow, did you just do that not to get your ass beat? That's sad. That's sad, because I, I was looking forward to to him changing uh, his tune.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, something you mentioned, which I think is undeniable is that there's certainly a lot of work out there that does use his stuff. And one of the more notable ones is Purple Punch. You know, they used his Larry OG, a male from that to make that. I thought about that for a minute and I was like, well, there's a lot of people who don't really rate Purple Punch. So is that like, how does that, is, is it a good marketing point? Is it a bad marketing point? What's your thoughts on Purple Punch?
1: Um, you know, I like smoking it, especially because the turps are fucking amazing in it. I've had some really, really good purple punch that's almost berry that I really liked. Um, I don't mind, I don't need to get smashed every time I smoke, so I don't mind it, but I get why people are like, okay, it's really resinous. It gives the appearance that it's going to be really potent and then it's not. It's disappointing in that, in that sense, but it's made its, it's, it's made its, uh, it's made its mark on our market. And and that's undeniable.
0: Yeah. And how do you feel in general about some of the purple strains? Because to me, at least, it's like it seems like it's the first purple strain that's really made a mark on the hype market in a long time. So, I kind of think like, I mean, props for doing that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, The first people doing hardcore purple work were Naboo. Um, Sonny Chiba, off of Naboo's work. I don't like to credit myself with a lot, but I was one of the first people really putting purples out there because they were hard to find. They were real hard to find purples back in the day, and people see it today everywhere, so they don't really understand how how rare it was and how much breeding it took to bring that to the forefront. And then you know CSI did a lot of beautiful work with Urkel, um, with purple indica. Um, You had CVF doing some purple indica work. So, yeah, you know, I'm a fan of purples, dude. I love that aesthetic beauty in my garden at all times.
0: So, would you generally agree with the kind of idea that purples, generally speaking, are not as potent as kind of their greener counterparts?
1: You know, I'd say it would be a case-by-case basis because purple Urkel, the original cut, is one of the most smashing, potent fucking plants. I can't smoke it. It puts me into a a tizzy, as it were. (laughs) It. I mean, it fucks me up so bad in in a bad way. So I can't really smoke it. But I love breeding with it because of how it breeds and because I like I like that flavor. So I always have to hybridize it before I can smoke it. But yeah, in that case, it's one of the more potent ones. Um, so it's it's really hard to say.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, while we're on the topic of Urkel, as time goes by, I'm getting more and more convinced that Urkel is a part of the cookies' genetic makeup given okay. your, given your work with the f1 derb as well as a lot of other things in general yeah what's your stance on this and what's your what's your uh, kind of you know thoughts on the cookie genetic lineage
1: so i was the first person to put out cookie in seed form oh i i guess almost nine eight or nine years ago now and i was just talking about that today i didn't realize it's been that long since it's been out um back then i noted okay I've seen this before, I've seen this in Urkel and OG hybrids. You can pull this out, this exact pheno out, with just Urkel and OG, including the OGKB phenotype, which is a common occurring phenotype that you see in Urkel and OG hybrids. However, uh, Cookies probably was done with GDP, um, which is another Urkel hybrid. And GDP and that Florida OG, um, I know that Not-So-Dog, my buddy, has that Florida OG and has had it for a while. So that is a real OG cut that did exist. Um, yeah, and, and things like cherry pie though, cherry pie is the Mendo Derb expression, which I think is just Mendo Derb and the OG without the purple. Um, but you can see very, very much that, the uh, the Mendo Derb, AKA F1 Derb, AKA Purple Pain, AKA and a million other names. Um, yeah, that's, that's where you see the expression in cherry pie the most, but in cookies, you really don't see any of that expression.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Shout out Francis, not so dogs. Really cool guy. I um, yeah, I like how he's been like kind of resurrecting slash really working with the Trinity. Have you got much experience with that one?
1: Yeah, I have it. Um, our our, our little circle has it. Um, shout out to the Can Illuminati. <laughs> I, that's all. That's all I can say about it. But yeah, uh, we all have it. We're all playing with it. Um, we're learning a lot about it that it does have a dud trait in it that doesn't always express. Um, Like you can take a branch off of it and uh, sometimes it's a great branch, sometimes it's a dud branch. And if you get a dud branch, you're kind of fucked. Um, Unfortunately, I have a dud branch. So I'm waiting for the uh, clean branch to come. But yeah, I've smoked a lot of his Trinity. Up at, uh, during Emerald Cup this last year, we had the big party and and, and we got to smoke a bunch of it there.
0: Yes, I'm actually really bummed out. I wasn't able to make it. I just need to get my own car next time I'm over so I can drive to these very kind of Illuminati parties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a wild party, man. The people that showed up, it was pretty legendary. It, it was legendary. The amount of, like, at one point, um, you know, there was Josh D, Bodie, uh, uh, Caleb, uh, Not so Dog. everyone in a room, all of us in a room, just talking genetics, dude, just nerding the fuck out. Miami Mango was there. Uh, Marty from Triangle Kush was there, you know, just like looking around. My buddy Lung, shout out to him. He's the one who actually threw it and was the host of the party. Um, but yeah, it was a legendary moment. Not many people got to be there for it or, or see it, but it was, uh, everybody was there. It's very memorable for all of us.
0: Hell yeah, dude. Well, you mentioned one of the favorite people on the show, the B-man himself, Bodhi how's things going between you guys i've heard that Bodhi's looking to maybe do some collabs going forward is there anything you might want to kind
1: of get in the works with him me and him have done the purple unicorn collabs for a long time like uh for a while i was the only one with that cut and i uh, he gifted it to me and that was that was special it was sweet of him uh, me and him are still as as close as ever if not more close he, he came down and we hung out went out to dinner he's just a trip to be around he's a he's a a very unique human being, and and one of one of the people I respect most on Earth. Um, as far as like, there's a lot of people you meet him, and they're so nice, and you're like, that shit's fake. That shit is fake. No one's that nice. And with him, it's 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 legitimate. He is that fucking nice. He's that good of a human being. And uh, again, after this moon situation, he was one of the people that stepped up. And you know, like a lot of breeders look at each other as competition, and me and him never have. And he stepped up and, and said, okay, I'm coming down. I'm coming down and I'm going to bring you a bunch of shit. And that's that. And he did. He, he's, he came down, came to my house. We hung out. And he dropped off fucking like 20 different strains. And um, yeah, I that's the second time he's helped save my company. Second time. Um, so I owe that man the world.
0: Yeah, truly a one-of-a-kind person, as you said. Yeah. So... You touched on it earlier, but I want to get more a bit deeply into it. the The concept of people outsourcing their breeding is becoming a, a more and more common kind of uh, occurrence within the the counter community. How do you feel about this? Do you feel like it's a bad or a good thing,
1: or where do you sit? um i can't I can't say it's terrible because I've been one of those people that people call to outsource their breeding. Um, I, think, I think people are starting to learn their strengths in this industry. Some people are really good at marketing and really good at packaging and presentation, but not so good at breeding. And I think, I think that's... Uh, it's hard when you have an ego. We all have egos to a certain extent, and as, as artists and breeders, we all have egos. However, um, it's, we have to put our egos down to say, okay, someone else is better than me at this particular thing, and I'm going to have them do it. Now with that said... I think there should be transparency in it. There should always be transparency in it. Ghost breeding kind of sucks, you know? Um, and being able to just buy street cred in breeding, to me, is, is pretty lame. Um, but outsourcing breeding, as long as it's transparent, I think, I think it's going to be something we see more often, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's my stance.
0: So I guess that was a, a kind of a, a neat little segue into what I love to ask everyone the whole candy rain debacle from cookie fam, you know, that was one such example of this outsourcing. How do you feel about that situation? And more specifically, how do you feel about their response to the issues? Do you feel like they adequately responded to the situation or they kind of dropped the ball?
1: Well, I mean, they themselves, when they first showed up, said, and I quote, yeah, that breeding shits for fucking nerds. So that, you know, I mean, anybody who invested in that, that they got what they deserved. I mean, there, there was plenty of warning. Everyone, when they even talked about it, a lot of us came out and said, you know, if you're gonna spend good money on on seeds that are bred, why would you go to people who are not breeders? Why would you go to people who don't understand genetics? And um, they got exactly what they paid for. Um, I know that, ma- I think two or three people might have been made good on the candy rain where they gave them a, another cross from uh, J.Beezy. Um, I'm confused. I'm confused why JBZ would want to work with them but that's his prerogative you know I mean maybe it was a good financial situation good financial move and I can't I can't hate on him for that but at the same time like I just trash to me they're trash
0: yeah so I mean does that frustrate you in a way the price point they set given the quality because I know that you know everyone's probably familiar that you know you're not looking to cater to the cheapest pack in the store and that's fine because the quality is there to back up the price tag but when you've got this situation of an even in like much higher price much lower quality such as the candy rain do you feel like that makes it harder for you to stand your own ground when you're justifying why you do have the pricing you do
1: um, you know, really, customers set the price. It's only worth what people are willing to pay for it. And if people were willing to pay that for it, then it's worth exactly that. Those those non-germinatable seeds were worth exactly $500 a pack or whatever it was. And, um, you know, whether that the quality is there with it, that's up to them to determine. Maybe they like trash and maybe they like... They like just the fact They maybe they spent that money for the packaging, you know, or, or to make them feel better. So it, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, it's it's a weird situation with that. I mean, there's a lot of people who I think like like CSI Humboldt. I see his prices: hundred dollars a pack or two hundred for the Chem91S ones, or I mean, it was a hundred and then two hundred for the Triangle Cush S ones. I think. That blew my mind because I know how much goes into reversals. And a lot of people don't understand what really goes into reversals. The main thing being what determines the price on reversals for me is how many times did I fail before I fucking have a room that I produced viable seeds from. That it, it sometimes you'll have three runs of nothing. So then, okay, that sucks. You just lost, you know, X amount of money per each room that you wasted on a reversal. And and it's not a matter of skills, it's just how reversals work. Um, so I know he had tried Chem 91 several times and Triangle Kush several times and people were bitching that he charged 200 a pack. I could have slapped every single one of them because I, he should have charged 600 a pack in my opinion. That's what they're worth. They're that rare. It's that hard to do. There was that many failures involved. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. I mean, considering no one's ever successfully been able to reverse the TK by him, it, it totally validates your point, right?
1: Yep. Absolutely. I got six seeds from my first triangle kiss reversal. Six.
0: <laughs> Damn. So, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll come back to cookies in a minute. But while we're talking about the TK, you know, the TK Origins crew has come out of the shadows since we last spoke. I've spoken to a few people such as Josh D, who I, I'm a big fan of Josh D. I think he's a lovely guy. Um, You know, he said to me, he he really thinks the story is legit. You know, he, he backs it. You know, how do you feel about it?
1: Uh, I'm friends with Marty. I like Marty a lot. Um, he's TK Origins guy. Um, I don't know. There are things that have changed over the years in that story. The main part being the Hindu Kush edition and that it was intentional. Um, other than that, I don't I don't see a reason. I don't see any holes in the story that he was a part of that original crew. I do believe that probably to be true. Um, there's also the Supernaut dude. Um, and he can, he backs up some of the story, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see a lot of holes in that story. I think maybe the intention and the, you know, might be different and the knowledge of what's in it might be different. Um, it sounds a lot more positive and, and sure than it was, you know, X amount of years ago when he came online and talked about it. But that's the only difference I see. But I do think he was a part of that original crew and, and I don't know that Triangle would be around if he hadn't been a part of it. So, yeah.
0: And how do you feel about this, uh, Emerald Triangle strain that was the supposed mother? I'm really struggling to find any information about it. Have you got any thoughts around that one?
1: Um, no. Uh, I, I, it's, it's kind of like dog butt. It's one of those things that's up in the air. What the fuck was it? You know, um. Yeah, yeah it it probably was just a strain from the emerald triangle but what it actually was hindu kush probably i think he's even right in guessing that i i I would assume that's probably a good direction to to go with it would be a hindu kush uh, a stretchy more golf ball nuggy hindu kush which those do exist um the hayes brothers old cali kush was like that the vintage is uh, the 80s what is it what is it called vintage 80s Hayes Brothers California Cush. That was the full name that they gave it. But uh, it was similar to that. So, yeah, there there was Cushes around like that. And and that strain might have had a name originally. It might not have. But if it came from the Emerald Triangle, you know, that's, that's probably what it was.
0: And so, how do you think we got to the point where we have all the OGs from there? Do you think that you know, the kind of standard lemon OG type of thing was locked inside those initial TK and Josh D OGs, or do you think there was more added to the the pool?
1: I'm sure there's been more added to the pool over time. Um, with OGs, a lot of people say, oh, it's just an S1 of that. Yeah, we don't know if it's S1s or if it's uh, another plant that hermed in a room. I think that there's a lot of that going. I think people recognize that it was amazing weed, and that's why you started seeing people keep seeds from these bags of this weed you know? And, uh, as it moved across the country and through different groups, each person, each group kept a little, little bit of a different version. Like in California, Resin Lungs crew had their OG. I have that copy. And that was what is supposed to be the original Josh D OG. And we still have it. And it's actually a lot more different, a lot different from, uh, the, the cuts out there called Josh D that I've seen. It's more stocky. It's more, it stays about five feet tall. Whereas like uh, triangle will fucking grow straight up like a vine. You know, I, that I have an eight footer in the room right now, just growing up, you know, all lanky. This one is lanky, but not as lanky as the pure Kush, not as lanky as Lumpa's headband and stuff like that. So, um, and then Louie was another, uh, early OG crew, you know, the Louis C- uh, Kazarin, I think his name was. And then you had the Jew cut with uh, Habibi and those dudes. Those are all the early OGs, people selecting bad, bad Seed, essentially, and finding it running their own. And that's how all these started popping up. But whether they were pure or not, you know, we'll never really know.
0: Yeah, yeah, most certainly. So, interesting one, you brought up the Lumpus headband. I've been talking to a few people behind the scenes and I, I won't reveal any names, but a few people have said to me that, um They're they're a little bit, I don't want to say ticked off, but like, you know, they've got their kind of grievances around the fact it's called Lumpa's headband because apparently there was a lot of people who had it before Lumpa did. And to me, part of me feels like, well, I mean, if he just stepped up to the plate and said, this is my headband, it's called Lumpa's headband, then it's just kind of, okay, he got in first. How do you feel about that? Like if someone named a strain after themselves, if it was given to them by someone, you know what I mean? Like there's lots of other people who've got it.
1: Um, I, you know, Lupa really didn't name it after himself. He was on he was on a THC Farmer a lot, and um, a lot of people just referred to it because he was showing off this cut he had called Headband. His name was Lupa on the thing, and people started referring to it as Lupa's headband, and he just went with it. Um, not the best choice, really, but it's also not the same headband that was around before it, and I think that's been fairly established that it's an OG Kush cut. Um, it's not the original headband. But it was an early cut that he called headband. There's a lot of uh, origin stories on it that have popped up from him specifically. Um, I, 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 he says it came from New York out of someone's pocket. Someone smuggled that out of a room. That's one of the stories. And there's a few other stories that it was just from someone's fucking room in a in somewhere up in NorCal. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. it's. You know, there's a few origin stories on it. It's a, it's one of the best OG Kush cuts out there. I think right up there with triangle. So that, that is a, that's, that's for sure. We know that for sure, but it is an OG Kush cut. It is not a a traditional headband in the sense of a Northern light super skunk type line.
0: Yeah, certainly. I feel like, um, whenever you smell it you can smell that OG nose on it, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's one of the heaviest like soapy noses you can get
0: yeah yeah cool cool it's actually i swear it's one of my favorites and i never thought i would like actually say that but like most of the time when i'm in the states someone will like have some and i'd like give it to me it's what i want to smoke
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you found a way to smuggle it out back to australia yet
0: Dude, I wish, man. Full disclosure, please, Australian police, don't come after me. Um, basically, um, I, I, I I, had sent a TK cut back, and it had made it, and I was like, yes. And then the person that it landed at, they didn't really know how to look after plants, and it died after it had landed. They sent me photos when it landed, and I was like, oh, my God, it's alive. It's still good. And uh, and then, like, a few days later, they sent me another photo while I was still in the States, and it was dead, and I was like, Fuck.
1: That sucks, dude. Yeah, the one thing, the best advice I will give someone: if a cut is uh, magically magicked through the air to someone, yep. immediately yep. get it and either stick it in a cube in a dome because it's coming out of a hundred percent humidity, whether you realize it or not, it's you have to reharden it off, or stick it in a cup of water. That's it. That's all you have to do is stick it in a motherfucking cup of water, let it yep. sit there for two days, harden off, then then start rooting it. You know. Um, that's that's the best advice I can give anyone in that situation because that shit sucks when you get something super rare that's so hard to get over anywhere you know and 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 just to watch it die I've had it happen so many times over the years and that's been the the major fix for it.
0: Oh man, thank you. I'll uh, if any cuts, uh, what is it, transantiate themselves over here. We'll, uh, we'll see if <laughs> <laughs> will see if that works. Um, <laughs> Recently on your Instagram, I mean you're talking about the the true headband lineage being like that NL super skunk hybrid I saw you made that post about one of your friends who was running the Giesel s ones And they had got like that recessive super skunk pheno made me think to myself Where is the real super skunk? You know people talk about it, but does it actually still exist?
1: no um, for, for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, it is dead. That doesn't mean that someone doesn't have it tucked away, but it's not accessible to anyone that we know of, and no one we know um, in our little circles holds it. And I think our circles are pretty pretty complete right now with people that had it back then. We're all friends, and yeah, we it, it's it, the the and it was actually I thought it was a s one, but it turned out it was my Skunk Spray Cam, which is Jezel crossed a sourdub. Um, so even in that hybrid, it expressed itself purely as the Mass Super. Um, it came out skunk spray smelling, and um, it's, it's the legit real deal pheno of Super Skunk as, as it was. And that's pretty amazing because I was worried that it would just be the structure and look but not have the smell, you know, the high, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's caused, caused quite a bit of hubbub, and, and a lot of the original dudes that ran the Super Skunk, you know, want it. They want it back you know so I think that's cool it's cool for the person that bought the seeds and popped them um, it's you know it's his way to make the mar- make his mark on the community and rightly so he, he he popped those seeds he kept it alive he did all that and, and he should be able to make profits off that you know
0: for sure and so I mean the super skunk it's such a fabled strain and yet There's still so much uncertainty around it. And my biggest question is what are the genetics? You know, we've heard from skunk VA that he thinks it was like, you know, maybe like an original skunk f2 type of thing But then also, you know, you've got like the the actual genetics, which is like an Afghan cross skunk type of thing Where do you sit on this one?
1: Um, It's absolutely in a hundred percent my opinion based on running all the old super skunks It is just a super skunk Afghani Afghan T which I don't believe, like Neville said, I do not believe that it was from Maple Leaf Indica. I think it was an Afghani one crossed to skunk one. And it, it has some skunk traits, uh, skunk one traits, but it does not have skunk one terps. Because I think the biggest confusion is that skunk one is nothing like what we know in America as skunk smelling. Um, and the American skunk being a, a little animal, what it sprays it smells nothing like skunk one. Skunk one's, the, the furthest expression or closest expression to skunk would be cheese. And then you have all the fruits and everything involved in that. I think um, my, my friend Duke Diamond, your friend, he saw that a lot working with a lot of the skunk ones. You know, he was working with skunk one, and a lot of people expected a lot of skunk, but he already knew what he was working with wasn't going to be skunk spray smelling, but it was the skunk, old skunk one. And I think a lot of assumptions were made on that by the people buying the seeds because they weren't educated. And uh, yeah, um, but with that said, that Afghani one. All the breeding that I've done with Afghani one, the LAF, old LAF he cut, um, it, that is a, a baseline like no other. It's very similar to that heirloom Afghani line that I have that, that's caused a lot of uh, commotion with all of its skunk traits and, and burnt rubber and, and piss in it.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, you bring up a really interesting point there with that LA Afi. I mean, the LA Con got a really good rap on its first release, and I was always told that that was because they had the real cut that first time. Where is that cut now, do you reckon?
1: I I think it's dead. I don't know. Um, There's a cut going around that looks like Bubba um, that is not the original. I still have pictures of the original, and it's identical to the Sensi Seeds Afghani 1. Um, uh, uh, there's a catalog from 1999 and if you look in in that catalog uh, from Scentsy Seeds you can see a picture of the Afghani one and it is literally identical to that picture Um, that clone, that's been long gone for me the last person I gave it to was Walking Dude and I traded it to him for the Hayes Brothers Cali Kush and uh, he has since passed away He was one of me and Sonny Chiba's good friends so shout out to our our deceased buddy uh, Walking Dude
0: yeah, that's a bummer to hear he's no longer with us.
1: Yeah, it is. He, he, he was an interesting dude. Um, when, I, when I was first like hearing about Subcool and all that um, on, on Breed Bay, and I was trying to figure out what that dude was all about, Walking Dude was the guy who saved Jack's cleaner for Subcool when he was in prison and gave it back to him, and Sub kind of slapped him in the face. So he pulled me aside and was like, Yo, bro, you don't even want to go down this road with this fucking dude. He's a lamer." So shout out again to him for fucking making sure I didn't go down that route. Uh, route, and he introduced me to Sunny back then, and I learned a lot. And all the all the stuff that I was really liking that I was seeing come from TGA, I learned was from Sunny. All that black Russian work, all that beautiful purple stuff, which is what what intrigued me about TGA early on
0: yeah certainly i mean we're gonna to get to tga in just a minute but let's uh let's wrap up this one yeah. first so yeah jumping back to the road killer you know those kind of skunk spray smells it's it's a focal point of many people's pheno hunts what have your views on this mythic strain changed since we last spoke like i mean i know that um, a lot of people have the view that your skunk spray afghani is one of the closest things we've got to it do you think we'll eventually nail it down
1: yeah, yeah, I see no reason we can't, you know. I mean, I think uh, I nailed it down in the Jizzle Sour Dub. There's skunk spray, total skunk spray coming out of that. Um, and I did it with the heirloom Afghani line. And I and I truly believe that heirloom Afghani line is either an Afghani 1 or uh, Afghani 1's super skunk hybrid or just super skunk, one of the three. Um, when it was given to me by Bite Me, he didn't tell me anything other than it's an Afghani. And I asked him, well, which Afghani? He said, well, there was a lot of Afghani 1 going around at the time. It was uh, late 80s, early 90s, so that's when he was popped. Um, he kept those seeds for a long time, only a few popped for me. Um, the male, I wish I would have kept him, uh, and the female was killed again by Mooney Moondog. So now we're doing a big hunt through the S1s. Uh, me and my, my partner, Skunk Tech, are doing that. Uh, and, and I gave some to friends, too, for them to use because I don't believe that, that I own that. Really, you know, uh, I found it. it. It doesn't have anything to do with me other than I made S1s of it. But I think that it should be shared with the community because a lot of people are looking for it. So I've given it out to like my buddy Pipsweed, El Jefe. Um, there's a lot of people who've gotten the Afghani for me um, for free just to bring it back into modern lines and work it in all these different directions. I know uh, my buddy Surfweed also did that, crossed it to my Banana tie. Crossed it to a bunch of stuff, old family purple from Caleb. So yeah, I, yeah, it's there, um, and I think people can find it, dude, just by running, running even Diesel S ones or, or old old Chem S ones. Um, you're not finding it necessarily in the Chem ninety one. You're getting more of the burnt rubber Chemi stuff, but you can find it in old Super Skunk lines if you can trace an old Super Skunk line or old Afghani one line.
0: Yeah, of course. And so are you of the opinion that the roadkill per se, at least in the way people talk about it, was not necessarily one specific cutting, but just more maybe like a general terpene profile? Or do you think it very much was one very specific thing?
1: Oh, no, I think it was just people were getting Afghani. It was the first time they were experiencing Afghani, which started um, talking to Seattle, Northern Lights, Greg. He was saying that that Northern Lights Afghani, which was called the, or the Steve Murphy Afghani that was used in Northern Lights, came in the early 80s. And that's always been my contention. The earliest you'll ever see an Afghani is from 1978, roughly. Um, maybe the earliest of one person might have had it would be 76, but you don't see anything earlier than that. Um, So during that era, Afghani started to disperse and people were used to Colombian gold. They were used to Mexicans. Once that Afghani started spinning around and people in America that were used to smelling skunks, they started calling it skunk. Um, I'm not sure that roadkill skunk was ever a term used back then. It was more of a term used in uh, referring to what had been around back then and had been lost and referring to many different phenos of an Afghani type plant.
0: So, you just mentioned Skunk Tech is someone who you're currently working with. Would you be willing to share any little secrets in terms of what we might be able to expect from you guys?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Skunk's one of my best friends. We have all the shirts that we've been releasing. I, so I've been going back and uh, buying up all the old, um, I guess, you, uh, thermal transfer shirts from the 70s and 80s, and uh, I've been going back, buying them up. and. Bringing them back, like because there's some beautiful old Colombian gold art, all Acapulco gold art, Lebanese red art, all this stuff, and so we've been working together on that. He has a beautiful like forty-five thousand dollar t-shirt printing machine that that does the best t-shirt prints I've ever seen, and um, better than even hand screening. And uh, so we've been putting those out slowly but surely, and people are catching on to that. Um, but yeah, we're also doing pheno hunts, big pheno hunts through a lot of different things like like my heirloom Afghani. Um, we're going to help reproduce High and Lonesome's Appalachia F2s together, um, or actually it would be F3s that we're going to be working on. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we have a lot of projects. Um, I might be moving up to Livermore by him so we can continue to actually uh, have him be part of Riot Seeds and that's that's the ultimate goal. I've never really had a partner in Riot Seeds that, that is that established. I've had a lot of people work with me on a lot of different things and there's a lot of people in Riot Seeds, but as a direct partner in Riot Seeds, he would be the first.
0: Yeah, exciting times. Yeah, you, man. You uh you raised a really good point about how, you know, you guys are pheno hunting through stuff, you're gonna be working with that. Something I've noticed and it is, you know, I mean I'll take it with a grain of salt because the Australian scene it's so in its infancy in every way, basically. But sure i've noticed that there's certain people and it's probably the same internationally they just can't seem to find like they can't phenohunt hunt on a very rudimentary level like they pop seeds and they can't really discern the keeper it sounds like a bit of a foreign concept but i legitimately find it like they're popping seeds and they've never got anything to offer back and it's not that like i don't think it's the case that there's no keepers in the packs because you pop a pack from a reputable breeder you're pretty much always going to find something worthy of hanging around so my question is how do people pop seeds and not find keepers
1: i think okay in order to find a true keeper you you one have to run the seed but you should probably run a clone of it as well to see how it continues to express in clone form because it's always going to be different than the seedling secondly you have to have your environment at least dialed in enough to be able to see that phenotype express at its highest value. And I think that's where a lot of it occurs, man. Like it's, again, in Australia, it's in its infancy, um, indoor growing is, is a lot different, you know? I mean, that's probably a newer idea in Australia because so many people grow in the bush out there, you know? A lot of people grow outdoors out there. So indoor growing is a lot different than outdoor growing. And to get these, these things to express at their best value, you have to be able to grow in your environment at, at its best. And I think that's why they're not finding these keepers. Like they're thinking, oh man, this shit sucks. And it's like, it's because it wasn't super happy. A lot of this stuff, a lot of the best stuff's coming from the US and it's being bred in the US, it's acclimated to the US. So when you bring it to a, a foreign environment, you have to acclimate it, you have to acclimate it. And that's another big part of it. Um, you know, it may harm right away when it when it hits uh, the Australian climate and and that's to be expected with cannabis. So acclimation is a big thing, and a lot of people don't understand that part of it.
0: Yeah, definitely seems like a very valid point. So a while back, we had uh, Breeder Steve on the show. It was a really good episode, in my opinion. He discussed this idea of how when he was looking to find keeper females to breed with, he would grow them outside like two or three times and just be culling the females away until he was left with like the best ones. And then he would take them indoors and then do the same thing again. And so at the end of it all, he'd have like this female that performed well outside, performed well indoors, it all it ticks all the boxes. And as a result, a lot of people make the comment that like, yeah, he's some of his strains you'd run them outside and people wouldn't be able to tell whether it was indoor or outdoor weed. And that that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Do you think that there might be a push to kind of do that type of more extensive pheno hunting and
1: breeding going forward for a lot of breeders? Um, I think it's a smart idea. Breeder Steve's obviously a a legend in the community and shout out to Kootenay IC Mag, his original breeding partner. Fucking dude is so cool, so cool. Um, Yeah, you know, one of my favorite strains is the blue satellite. Blue satellite number one. I think that's a a very special special breeding project um, that they did, and I think Steve had he's he's and Kootenay, for that for that matter are were well ahead of their times in doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's the smart idea. Uh, me, I'm not as I'm not as geared towards outdoor growing, so I probably won't do that. Um, my all my lines are, are, are tested and run indoors by me, and I don't have outdoor space, so I, I don't know that I'll be doing that. Maybe in the future, I'll get bigger spaces and whatnot and do it, but until then, but I think it's a great idea because there is that outdoor seed demand uh, all over the world,
0: of course. So, just to change topics for a minute, just uh. I'm, I'm always interested in hype strains. I'm always interested in what's ahead of the curve. Not because I get super caught up in the hype strains, like you're not gonna see me cruising around in a Skittles t-shirt, but at the, <laughs> but at the same time, like I, I find it very interesting, you know, it's like uh, like markets and the way they behave. It's, it's really interesting to me. So basically, here's the question. GMO's had its run, it's done well. Then we moved on to Max. What's next, what's next?
1: Unfortunately, the wave has been cheese. That I've been seeing that people are asking most about in my live feed. I have a, um, it's it's got an okay following, you know, like it's 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 small but it's building. Um, but I do get a lot of questions from a lot of people, and the cheese has been the one that's like, no, please don't bring that shit back, please. I mean, it's it's okay, UK guys love it, but. For a while, everything was fucking cheese. Everything, like, and and I've already seen that happen. And I did never thought I'd be around for the resurgence of cheese. I thought it would be at least twenty years, but that shit's coming back a- and in full form. Um, definitely, that's one of them. Um, I think there's going to be a resurgence with stuff like the NL5 haze. You know, I mean, I like I was talking about earlier with you uh, before the show. NL5 haze seems to be piquing people's interest. That was the most. Uh, grown strain in the 90s was nl5haze
0: yeah most certainly and i mean you know our most recent guest ak Brands. actually no sorry second most recent karma was on yeah you know he spoke about that tk nl5haze and a lot of people's ears perked up to that have you heard much about that one at all
1: um yeah uh there's been there's been some interesting thoughts on that tk nl5haze um Uh, I am a big fan of AK Bean Brains. He just sent me, you know, the rest of the catalog, some of his blueberry work. I'm running his uh, blueberry cut, which is very, very interesting. It reminds me a lot of uh, Blue Dream in the sense of the smells that are coming out of it, minus the trypinaline. Not as much of the menthol, but it's like a sour blueberry. It's weird. Um, It's really good. It has some auto flowering traits in it, which I've been able to kind of push back, but I'm not sure how it's going to breed in the future with it. He's a he's a very very cool fucking dude
0: though. Yeah, definitely he's certainly a very genuine guy and I just wanted to say before I forget you're being very humble about your live streams. I think they're phenomenal and people should get in on them whenever they can. I certainly try to. Um Thank w- you. with that being said, I wanted to bring it up before I forgot. I mentioned Mac a second ago. Let's yeah. talk about Caps Colombian. Give me the lowdown.
1: So there uh, before I talk about his Colombian um, one of the things that Moon had had killed was his uh, Colombian cross to Neville's Haze. And, I, you know, it was clearly labeled on the plants. I had a bunch of them, sent them over. When I got it back in the bag of liquid, it was labeled Caps Colonial. So all of me and my friends, all refer to it as Caps Colonial from now on because it was such a joke that they couldn't even keep the name straight on what shit <laughs> was. Um, the Colombian, you know, I like cap and again very nice guy. Uh, I get along with him. I like a lot of points he makes about our industry. Um, the Mac one cut is very very good. It's not great for taking pollen but for smoke people love it and it's it's very resinous. I think the reason it can't take pollen is because it's so resinous and it puts so much of its um, energy into building resin that and and yield that it doesn't focus at all on pistolet production. It's a really weird thing, but, um, yeah, it doesn't take pollen at all. I found that myself. Um, as far as the Colombian in it, he's he specifically said they were – the Colombian was from seeds that he got while he was in Colombia. Um, he also said it was a nine-week strain, which most people, like myself, that have grown a lot and a lot, a lot of uh, heirloom Colombian lines – they're usually you know 21 plus weeks sometimes sometimes they're as low as 14 if it's a worked american line version of it um i've seen it down as low as 11 with the uh farmer's choice colombian which was a a project across the boards in the um early 2000s um with that said i don't think it's colombian in it in my opinion i think it's uh Super lemon haze, to be honest with you. But he says that's not the case. And you know, he has more experience with it obviously obviously than I. So you've always got to take that into account. Um, and it may not be that the actual cut has Super Lemon Haze in it, but the seed line, everybody is pulling Super Lemon Haze phenos out of the, the MAX seeds. Um, you're not seeing a lot of keepers come out of the MAX seeds that were released. And there were a lot sold.
0: Yeah, so that's that's my next exact question. Do you feel like it's the case that because the MAC-1 cutting is so good that people compare their keeper from the packs of seeds and go, it's just not as good, and so we don't see keepers because of that? Or do you think that it was just like a fluke, the MAC-1 cutting, and the seed stock itself is not as good? It's not a representation of the MAC-1 cutting per se.
1: I think that seeds are probably a hybridized form of of the line that that cutting came from and whatever he hybridized with it, Super Lemon Haze. Um, it, you know, it could be why it's coming out so shit because Super Lemon Haze is, it's not necessarily shit, but it, it's it's not what people are necessarily looking for when they go buy Mac seeds, per se.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly. So, on that same topic, how do you feel about uh, late last year, we saw those $100 eighths of Mac from Big Al, and more importantly, How do you feel about Cap's response to that situation? Do you feel like a breeder has the right to try to impose some sort of uh, structure or business structure around their strains?
1: Once you let it cut out, dude, if you try doing that shit, you're going to catch backlash. It just is what it is. Um, People have, again, something's only worth what people are willing to pay for it. If people are willing to pay for it, that's what it's worth. And if that worked for that dude Big Al, then that's fine. You know, um, that's how it works. Uh, Cap's new to that aspect of it, and and I understand he wants to protect his breeding rights and protect a plant that he so hardly worked on. Um, that. You know, it's it's his first reaction to say, you can't do, you can or can't do this with it. You can or can't do that with it. And that's cool if people, you know, respect that and, and want to respect his wishes, but there are always going to be the outliers that don't respect his wishes at all. And trying to hold them to a standard in a black market is is not going to happen. This is the black market, man. You can't do that shit. And, and granted, there is a legal market to speak of, but I, I don't know much about that shit.
0: <laughs> we don't take kindly to those folks around here <laughs> yeah so I mean it's interesting you raised the point like the idea of middlemen you know and I, I had a chat to Al and he seemed like a really reasonable guy and he mentioned how you know like he's he's been growing for years and he doesn't really grow so much anymore he's like a middleman now and it it raised this idea to me because it's like I mean burn is kind of the same thing right like you know he's not really a grower but um yeah. You know, I I just wonder how the scene's going to evolve where we've now got, you know, like these exclusive hype men.
1: Yeah, um, you know, with with the generation that I'm from, we didn't really have that breeders either hype their own strains or the strains hype themselves, you know, it was one or the other. And usually the people that were hyping their own shit, if it turned out to be bullshit, you were tossed from the community or you were made to look like a jackass and no one talked to you, swerve, for example total jackass and uh, constantly posting on Instagram that he gets no respect but that's why he gets no respect because he acted like that and he was he was trying to be his own hype man he was he was not necessarily moral with how he treated people and dealt with people um, and that was a, a, a really good example of, of how that was dealt with in the old days now with the modern age younger people associate weed with rappers rappers are always rapping about weed they're the perfect middleman, hype man for this generation. Um, and it, trying to educate them is really hard. We saw that with Seth Rogen not too long ago. There was a lot of pushback with him. Um, he came out with Houseplant and uh, and started calling like Chem 91 Houseplant Sativa, which was just on so many levels insulting to so many people. Um, not, not only was it spelled weird, it was not supposed to be a sativa in the first place. Um, all kinds of shit with that, but he has a massive pull from the entertainment community, and people look up to him as a, a comedian who smokes a lot of weed, and as a famous person, he must know good weed. That's, that's where it goes. Um, again, but he's not a grower. He's not a breeder. He's a glorified hype man, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how that direction goes, if it changes, if people choose to educate themselves, or if they just buy into the hype and that's where it goes, and, and, and it's ruined for good.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, it was just earlier. I think today, maybe yesterday, that uh, Shabinsky made a post about how there was like a write-up in, I think it was an LA magazine, and it and it used as like it it, it referenced the amount of times he had been name-dropped in rap songs as uh-huh. like, as like a metric for how popular he was. And uh, on the one hand, you're kind of like, okay, it's undeniable. Things are becoming more accepted and mainstream. But at the same time, I just got like such a weird feeling about it. It was like, like, how is that a metric for anything?
1: Yeah, it's really not, but he's not, he's not, uh, someone that's in any kind of circle of, of real growers and real breeders. Um, so maybe that's his personal metric for success. I mean, he's always about the followers, how many followers you get, and shit. And then you'll see, you know, people who are breeders that are private, and there's a reason for that because we want our followers to equate to real, real-world sales. We care about that. Um, it's just a different world, man. Like where where social media is is a base level for a lot of people's way of looking at who's successful, and the fact that you can buy followers is is just a, another another tricky tool in all of that. Um Sherbinsky, he is obviously the Sherb, is in a lot of people's strains. I've worked with it. Um, he's a very nice guy himself, so I, I don't want to say anything terrible about the guy. He is a nice guy. He's one of the few people from that that cookie fam uh, place, uh, that group um, that 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 is tolerable, but there are some some cringe worthy stuff that is said by him, too.
0: Yeah, okay, I feel you on that and I mean, I definitely would love to say as well, please come on the show Shabinski, you know Um, But uh, but at the same time I wonder where he's going to go next. I wonder where Cookie Fam's going to go next. Because it was like, you know, sherbet crossed to cookies makes gelato, and now gelato crossed to some other cookies makes mochi or however you want to say it, biscotti. It's like, where do, where do we go from here? Is it just perpetually cookies into cookies into cookies, or will there ever be like some creative outcrossing? I wonder.
1: Uh, I don't think we're going to see anything creative come from any of those guys or that crew. Um, All we're seeing is muddled cookies to cookies to cookies to cookies done 90 different ways and slapped with a bunch of names of shit you could buy at Starbucks or somewhere else you know it's not very creative um, it's a lot of incestuous breeding that's gonna lead to a lot of inbred depression and shitty plants eventually and people's rooms are stuck with this shit they're not growing anything else because it's what the the modern market wants and eventually they'll find that's all that they have that's all they have access to and there's nothing left for them and that's gonna be a sad day for them because that's 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 how we gets ruined
0: so, do you think these guys have any of these original seeds left that could potentially bring to life something new? Because, I mean, for me, I always see a uh, pie guy. What's his name? Powers up. Yeah, lay off the caps lock, homie. That's what I'd say to him. But, uh, <laughs> but he's always posting, like, some new strains about to drop and nothing ever drops. So, it's like, what's the deal with that?
1: He's just trying to keep himself relevant. He doesn't have anything to offer. In fact, he was the one that said... Breeding is for fucking nerds and he ain't no nerd. That's the guy who made the quote, dude So the fact yeah. that he's talking about dropping strains and shit, you can't have it both ways You can't call yourself a breeder and then say breeders are fucking nerds, you know um, Implying that you're so street that you can't breed um, Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I don't know man. All I see is bad from all that um, With that said, you know, like I said, I, it was eight nine years ago when I was working with cookies um, I see new companies coming out and using cookies still. Um, it's time to it's time to expand. It's time to move on. You know, like that's the way I feel. Maybe the market doesn't feel that way though, and and that's why it hasn't moved on. You know, people are still new to cookies. Every day, there's new smokers reading High Times. Cookies is in there. They're, that's their first experience with something that frosty, that fucking pretty, that dense, and. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how long it's going to stay around. I would like to see a change from it, but it, but I think there are unique things you can do with cookies. Um, there's unique ways to take cookies. Uh, the chocolate Thai cookies that I did, I was really stoked about. Um, that was on um, who who was it? Be real, smoked some on his show, and it, he he expected it to be like a a, a a hit him like an Afghani type line where he was waiting for it just to hit him right away, you know. And over time, you've got to see him turn into a giggly. A giggly soul, you know, through it, you know, it's cool to watch. But there's, there is, there are interesting ways to take cookies lines, and some of us do that. But I think the whole cookies into cookies hybrid into another cookies, the gelatos, the sherbs, the it's just incestuous breeding leading to inbreeding depression.
0: Of course so this one's maybe a bit of an extended one so my apologies but one thing I noticed most recently when I was in the States was that there's just this undeniable consumer um, appetite for cookies and it became most clear to me when I was at like this kind of farmers swap meet and there was a jar of uh, that uh, head lumpus headband grown by um, mr. Bob Hempel, grown phenomenally thank you I was smoking that the whole trip and uh, my homie was telling me yeah like people are only gonna pay like you know like a thousand a pound for this type of thing and um then next to it he has a jar of wedding cake had no terps to it. I think it was like, you know, I mean, it was grown to look nice, but it it didn't have, you know, like what you would expect of really high quality wheat. Yeah, it looked the part, but it didn't fit it. And he's like, yeah, people will also pay a thousand for this. And I'm like, how does that work? Like anyone with a nose would be able to discern that the, the headband is way better. And he just looks at me and he's like, yeah, but people have smelt that nose before. And I was just like, really? Like that's fucking all this is? And so like, how can we as a community... Get the general public to acknowledge that like yeah wedding cakes well and good, but you know what lumpus headbands is a fucking bomb
1: I think it's just their education. education and and I you know I've been a very big pessimist that people want to be educated. I don't think they do. And and my whole career, I firmly believe that, but then I started getting my live feed going and I see how many people are coming in now to learn. And the the only reason people come to to my live feed is because they want to learn about breeding. They want to learn about strains. I think that's what's been established as a place people can come actually ask questions about breeding and actual breeding and learn about strains as opposed to just sitting there watching me dab because I'm not into that you know like I I see a lot of readers come on do live feeds and all they do is dab and fucking I, I'm not into that that's not that's not what I'm about uh, you know we all smoke I'm not impressing anyone by fucking hitting the bong or dabbing you know so I want to be able to answer real questions and the fact that it's getting more and more popular every day blows my fucking mind and it, and it shows I'm not exactly right people were wanting to be educated they just didn't have anywhere to go get this education um, then again, I'm not the all-knowing narrator, so I want more breeders to do what I'm doing. I want more people that are um, that have a big platform in the breeding community starting to do live feeds, answering breeding questions, and I think it will also show people the guys that don't—they're not doing it because they have no fucking real experience or education in any of this, and they're just pulling the wool over your eyes. So I implore all the breeders to do that. Um, Duke will do it. You know, he comes on, talks. Um, You know, Karma's done it, you know, Karma's come on with me and talked, Bodhi will talk to people about breeding, Caleb will talk to people about breeding, but there's very few people who will. And I think that speaks volumes, but people want this education, let's give it to them. The more people that are educated, the more breeders doing this, like it, it it doesn't scare me for other breeders to do live feeds. I think the more people being educated by the larger amount of us, the better for all of us. The better for breeding, the better for cannabis, the more education that goes out there
0: and so how do you feel about the advent of kind of like people who will say go live with me bro let's settle this beef right now let's do it live you know it seems almost like reminiscent of like the the WWF you've been calling for for so long
1: (laughs) well you know uh, one of my friends does does the whole go live with me bro thing and um, it's a part of his his character and I love seeing characters in this business I think it keeps it Interesting. I think it keeps it creative, you know, like people always looked at me like the villain for a long time. And I, I at first I was kind of, I, I didn't love it, you know, it's like, cause I don't feel like I'm a total villain, but it, as I embraced it, I started fucking loving it, dude, you know, and, and people look to me to be this villainous type character. And when they get to know me, they, they see that maybe that's not the case, but I think characters make, make for interesting tales. And this is our, our tale of, of breeding. This is our era. This is our tale.
0: So inevitably, when are we gonna see the real deal weed wrestling federation where breeders settle beefs in the ring?
1: I've been dying for that, dude. I have been dying, dying, dying to do that. Um, Every time I go to these these events, you know, like people look at me and I'm short and fat. Like I think they think that I'm gonna not be the person that I am. That I that I am on the live feed, or and I'm I'm unfortunately for them, I am every bit the same person that I, that I, that I profess to be. Um, yeah, like I, I, you know, I've learned that people in our community that like to act tough and talk tough. Um, you saw, you saw yourself at the cup. You were right there with me as one little fucking golden coast hunkered down in a corner after he got fucking treated like a little bitch. You know, I couldn't punch him because he was going to sue me, but it is what it is and that's what usually happens at the last one joint breath came up to the table acted like he was gonna get tough skunk tech was right in front of me um it was a pretty cute little little dance we did I took all the weapons out of my pockets laid them on the table so he knew that there were no fucking weapons in my pockets I said bring it Motherfucker scurried away. So I don't know if we'll ever have this event because so so many people are such pussies and so scared to get hit. But I think like we could we could sell tickets to it. We could donate that to fuck the money to good fucking uh, funds. You know, like I think it would be funny as fuck. I think it would get rid of a lot of the animosity in our community. And you know, I I, I I'm pretty open to say what I feel about people, but at the same time I realize that. The the division in our community sucks. It does suck. But at the same time, we have to get rid of the trash. So before we can be united, we have to divide and conquer <laughs> the fucking the retards and the scam artists.
0: <laughs> I love it, man. The first first fight. I'm going to be the matchmaker. It's going to be <laughs> your, your wrestling name is the Trash Man. You take out the trash.
1: That's and, right. i it's going to be it. It.
0: it's going to be the Trash Man versus Flat Earth Crew, aka Gauge oh, Green. Oh yes.
1: Oh, yes. I'm so down. Well, you know, I don't know if that one would be able to be public. It might get a little more bloody than uh, people would like.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, since our last talk, have you had any interactions with the GGG
1: crew? Um, Not really, dude. I haven't had interactions specifically with Keyplay, who used to be a good friend of mine, um, many, many years ago. Um, I gave him his start in breeding. I gave him his start uh, as a company, giving him a big push. Got him on the attitude, got him in books. Um, Gage Green, for all intents and purposes, would not be where it's at without that big fucking push that they got from me. And I'll say that till the day I die, and he knows that that's the truth. Um, with that said, he, he, I, he won't speak to me. Last time we spoke was many, many years ago, and uh, that's when he tried shaking me down, telling me, people know we're friends and they'll believe anything I say about you. Give me money and give me strains. Um, that's who that dude is that's who he is at his base. Um, that, that one kid, Jason Fong or Michael, whatever he calls himself now, the the little scrawny Asian brat. Um, he wasn't around during all this. He was not around. He had nothing to do with anything. I don't really know much about him, but he seems to be the one talking the most shit about me. And he's not, it's not ideal for him to do that because he's, he's all of 40 pounds soaking wet. Um, Yeah, I don't have much interaction with them other than seeing like every once in a while they'll post like this seed list where things are like $4,000, $5,000 and uh, talking about flat earth and and just weird shit like that, dinosaurs never existing. Um, Yeah, I try to have as little interaction with those idiots as, as much as possible. But when I'm at these events, I go around looking for them just in case. (laughs)
0: yeah I mean I I would I would love for them to tell their story so uh you know that would be an interesting one to hear but something I got to bring up you know to be fair I like I like to you know try to be fair where I can so I'd love to know do you agree with this kind of observation in that I I'm of the opinion that they kind of got screwed with Mendo breath you know like at the end of the day I think it's a killer strain I really like it I've got some hybrids of it I think they're good plants but it seems like everyone picked up that work and ran with it except for them. And I wonder, was that them just missing the boat on their own strain? Like they rarely get a mention in the genesis of it or even just in the context. And I can't help but feel like they kind of got the short end of the stick in regards to a strain they made. Or do you see it a little differently?
1: I see it a little differently because I had already made uh, a strain similar to that using the OGKB Uh, before the mendo breath was out so it was already out there people were using that the 26 cookies um, it didn't catch, it did not catch on like their Mendo Breath did. That's for goddamn sure because Mendo Breath is literally everywhere. I think they dropped the ball on it. I think they were too focused on the negative aspects and fighting with people as opposed to putting their nose to the grindstone and making it making it their legacy. You know, it was one of the few strains that wasn't from JoJo, wasn't from me, wasn't from Medic Seed Collection, wasn't from Loompa. that they weren't renaming and weren't doing that shit. It was something that they actually made. And, uh, yeah, they missed the boat on it, and that's their own fault because they were just so focused on fighting with everyone about it. And not just that, they were fighting with other people about flat earth, they were fighting with people about shit that had nothing to do with anything. Um, I, think, I think the reason people don't mention it is because of all their bad energy attached to it. Nobody wants to, to bring their name up and shit because it just brings so many bad vibes.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree. For a crew that goes around espousing that they're all about good vibes, they seem to put out a lot of negative vibes themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's the irony of it all, man. And that happens a lot, you know. Uh, people people pull the hippy-dippy bullshit to try to... Uh, because they know that catches on in the Canada community. A lot of people are into that, you know, peace and love stuff, but they don't really espouse it, you know. And then you see guys like Bodie that really do, that are a- absolutely... You know all about the earth and and paying attention to the energy of everything and and they live their life that way and and it shows the the amount of love that he gets and the amount of love that they don't get
0: yeah okay so let's keep getting a bit more edgy how do you feel about breeders who espouse the random shit we hear like from gage green you know like i mean i read a post the other day from uh uh fang shen however you say his name uh, jason Fung. uh, jason Fung. Please come on the show. Um,
2: (laughs) Yeah, he's coming on after this. (laughs) um,
0: Yeah, so I I read a post that's talking about like if you eat berries and shit, you'll purify your lymphatic system and it can cure cancer. Or there's like Caps Famous Chemtrails post. How do you feel when people kind of take a foot off the edge with some of these claims? Uh,
1: You know, I mean, being that they claim to be breeders, they should be science driven. And if you're science driven, you know that. You know, you have to go through trials. You have to have things be able to be repeatable. You have to, you know what I mean? Like, there's a there's a, a method, a scientific method for a reason. And if they are breeders, if they are scientists, they would probably think a little bit more before they speak. And And it just shows, like, it shows their competency level. It shows all that shit. With that said... You know, I myself have been called a conspiracy theorist by Phylos and many other people. And in a sense, you know, I've studied a lot of that stuff, but I've also studied it because I like to know before I speak on things. And uh, I mean, I have my own views on fucking aliens and UFOs and shit, but you know, I don't think it really has much to do with breeding.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. So I mean, final question on our friends, Gage. you know, recently they put a post up saying that they had received an offer in the past for fifteen million dollars for their company, and they said or they tur- they turned it down because GGG is worth more than that. You want to uh, give your interpretation of that situation?
1: Those broke motherfuckers didn't get no $15 million offer. They would have sucked the dick of fucking whoever was giving it to them. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Nobody's given them a $15 million offer. Like, from from the way they're charging for their strains, dude, and how many times they've been hit for doing illegal shit, you know, not just uh, not just growing weed, but other shit, you know, that they get involved with, math, shit like that. It's, uh, yeah. It, you know, I think they would have sold out right away. They don't give a fuck about this community. If someone would have offered them fifteen million, they would have done anything for it. So I don't buy that shit at all. But it makes a nice story. It's 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 trying to convince people of their value that doesn't exist. There is that. I mean, people do that all the time
0: yeah okay so i mean you know to kind of change to a slightly different topic given that there is this prevalence for people to kind of be more compassionate centric within our community you know like there's not a lot of purely businessmen within our scene at least not ones that are embraced how do you feel like breeders are going to be able to survive moving forward given the advent of what seems like an inevitable commercialization and like a big ag takeover of things
1: i'm scared i'm scared um But those of us who who thrived in the black market long before all this, in the early forum days and whatnot, that's how we made our name, you know, getting on the forums, passing stuff out, um, selling stuff through word of mouth, Um, we'll be fine, man. This is how we've always rolled. But with the big ag takeover, they may take over recreational and shit, but people eventually realize, like, there's always going to be a demand for quality weed, and you're not going to get that from Walmart weed. You know what I mean?
0: yeah of course i mean and it raises another point i had about you know uh vape pens they're they're so on the rise a lot of people will hate on them but a lot of people will also point out that they are kind of like a stepping stone between the the connoisseur community and just the casual enthusiast how do you feel about the old pussy sticks
1: (laughs) the old pussy sticks yeah um I don't know, man. I vape uh, nicotine, uh, you know, so I I guess I'm kind of involved in in that kind of shit, but that's just because I think cigarettes are stinky and I don't want to smoke them. However, with cannabis, um, yeah, there's a lot of people that will do that and never smoke a joint because they still have that fear of associating with something like that. So there's always going to be a demand for it, and I think eventually there it'll be a bigger demand for it worldwide you know the the younger community is going to keep going that direction and that's fine but there will always be a connoisseur community and those that that breed connoisseur seeds they're going to have to fight for those positions and the people that are fucking not really good at breeding and and just preyed upon people's you know like the average high times reader they're, uh, they're gonna fall down in that market, you know what I mean? There's only gonna be a few people making that market and they're definitely not gonna be anything in the connoisseur market. Those are the kind of people that are gonna fall off and not be around. But like people like me, people like uh, Bodie, people like CSI, we're gonna be around doing this long after the money's gone, long after you know the interest is there. This is what we do, this is who we are, you know?
0: Yeah, of course. So around that same debate of the vape pens, we have this like a sub-debate around whether the introduction of cannabis-derived terpenes to these carts is like a good or a bad thing, and then a further sub-debate of like, well, are those terpenes cannabis-derived? Are they derived from other sources, like natural sources, so to speak. Do you have much of an opinion on this? And I guess the very specific question is, do you feel like externally added terpenes are kind of like detrimental to a product or like kind of reduce it from what it could be?
1: I think scientifically, they're finding out that cannabis derived terpenes are indeed different than like fruit derived terpenes or from other places. Uh, Originally, initially, they said that a terpene is a terpene is a terpene, right? Um, Limonene is limonene is limonene, no matter where it comes from. But that's not, they're finding out that's not necessarily the case. Um, The entourage effect is very real. A lot of these hot dog carts, uh, the vape carts, hot dog water carts, whatever they're called, um, (laughs) isn't that, I think that's the nickname. Yeah, I love it. Uh, uh, (laughs) You know, like you smoke them, and you'll get the same high that you would get from, say, poorly extracted BHO, to where everything is stripped, all the terpenes are stripped. You get the same high. It's and to me, it's kind of speedy. It's bland. It's not. It's not really super enjoyable. The entourage effect is a real thing. You need cannabis-derived terpenes. Whether, and I don't know that whether extracting it from cannabis and then readding it, if there's something that is missing, um, I don't. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I've never really. I don't think a lot of these people that are claiming that they have cannabis-derived terpenes are really going that route because it's cheaper to get, um, you know, fruit-extracted terpenes than it is from cannabis-extracted terpenes. I think most people are going the easier route and saying it's cannabis-extracted because there's no way to really prove that, you know what I mean? So I think there's a lot of shortcuts being taken, and that's just going to happen. That's the nature of business, and they're going to try to take advantage of people at every step to save a buck.
0: Of course so how do you feel about the idea of some of the more well-known and let's just say accepted breeders within our community doing work for big ag because i have a feeling it's inevitable where someone's like oh i'm creating a hybrid that's going to be planted in fields and it's going to be you know just harvested by big combines all over the place do you feel like that would be a negative thing or it's kind of like hey we may as well meet them in the middle if it's going to happen
1: Oh, that's such a hard one, dude. Like, I've been watching some of my friends that I respect slowly drift over to the corporate world. And, and some of these people are people that, are, that have been through the really big hardships of getting popped, watching their family get thrown on the floor by DEA agents, you know, and, and uh, back during the really illegal days, watching their, you know, watching their family go through that and then finally having an avenue to not have to worry about that again. I get the want for that. Um, with that said, it's a personal decision, and, and it's definitely not for me. Not fucking for me. No no amount of money is worth fucking selling all my friends down. And really, that's what's going to happen. You uh, you may think it's only affecting you, it's only one person, but if everybody starts making those moves, it's going to start taking out a lot of your friends. It's going to make a lot of your friends' lives a lot harder. Um, that that that's exactly what's gone on with Phylos as we've watched it, which is another hot button topic.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, just to kind of jump off the old doom and gloom big ag situation earlier on, you mentioned when we were talking about the uh, the, the skunk spray Afghani seeds that they were from like the late eighties, early nineties, I think you said from memory, do you have any other stock left from back in that time frame that you are kind of itching to get into?
1: I have a bunch of stuff from that individual, Bite Me. Um, He gave me so many, like I think 13 or 14 different things. Only three or four were labeled. The rest are supposed to be, you know, Colombian golds, Colombian blacks, Colombian reds, Colombian rainbows, and then other Nepalese, different things that were coming down the pipe in Florida during that era. Um, And I have stuff from that I've saved from my own collection that I've gotten over the years. Um, But a lot of those seeds are really hard to pop. So it's going to take tissue culture popping. And that in itself has become another problem. There's a lot of scammers in that world too. They, they realize that there's money to be made there. They realize that, you know, some breeders like me, I'm not on top of tissue culture. I, I don't know that I don't know all the ins and outs of it. So it's really easy to take advantage of people. And uh, yeah. And you know, I, I hope that, you know, more people step forward. Finest has been really kind to me. Um, and, and there's other people, Mike Hydro is doing fucking great work with Jungle Boys and Tissue Culture stuff.
0: Nice. Nice. I mean, you just mentioned finest. I had heard from some people that they got caught with their pants down at the Emerald Cup in terms of like some of the cuts they were selling were like had issues with them. Have you heard anything about that?
1: Uh, No. Um, You know, with tissue culture comes an issue that you have to use certain hormones in order to make them go through that process and some of those cuts aren't necessarily the best for cropping. Let's say you buy a thousand cuts just to bloom out right away you know from that have been tissue culture. They've been treated with so many hormones and it takes X amount of months for that to happen to get it out of its system before you can bloom it and I think that's some of the issues they're running into. I know some people said PM and stuff like that at the cup and you know when you bring um, clean clones, very sterile clones into an environment where there's a bunch of growers walking around from their rooms you're gonna get shit i don't even know how people can sell clones at events like that and not worry about that
0: yeah definitely feels like a a good choice to maybe quarantine those bad boys off initially
1: yeah oh yeah yeah treat them with some micronized sulfur put them in a corner for a while treat them again (laughs) figure it out before you bring them in the room of course of course
0: So, given so many of your strains have been used by other breeders to kind of make new lines and whatnot, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you made a strain, you released it, everything's all good, and then you kind of forgot about it, and then someone's used it, and they've made like a new hybrid, and it's kind of like really got some jazz to it, and you're like, damn, maybe I need to go back and pull out those seeds again, like maybe I kind of pulled the plug on that a little early in terms of, I should have explored that one a bit more.
1: Uh, you know, not really. I, I like when people do that and they find their own special shit in it and they, they hybridize it and find something that they love in it. And at that point, I'm usually, my mindset is, wow, I'm glad they found something special in it. I hope they take it a new direction and that's that. I've left it. If I've left it behind, then I've left it behind. And that's that. It's very rare that I pick up an old strain and I'm like, wow, there was a lot more in that I should have looked for. Um it's very rare that that happens because I, I do good. I do good pops of my stuff to go through enough phenos to see it all, and sometimes what they find that they love and that other people love isn't what I love. So yeah, um, I also I look at everybody who buys my seeds like they're investing in my company, and I they're buying rights to use those lines as they see fit, and you know they have the option to reproduce them if they want it's not necessarily going to get the best reaction if they're, like, reproducing it to undercut me on price and, you know, keeping the same name and all that shit because uh, it may not be a good representation of where I wanted the line to go. But, um, you know, it's all part of the game. It's all a part of it. And, and I I think the highest honor is someone carrying on a strain and using it and finding something special in it that they love.
0: Yeah, of course. Would you ever consider remaking one of your previous strains that you maybe were kind of thinking it was just going to be a one-off, but you were like, hey, this is actually something special.
1: Strawberry Switchblade was one of those. Um, it was one that I made as a one-off. Usually I have a direction uh, and a goal with everything that I put in a room that I'm that I'm using. Um, I don't put anything in there usually for, you know, just because there's space, throw it in there for shits and gigs. But in that case, that is the one time when I did that and it became something that people really, truly love. And I went back, worked that line. Um, Yeah, that was that was an anomaly for sure.
0: So how would you describe your general approach to new projects? Do you just kind of everything just kind of comes organically and just like, you know, you do it yourself or do you have like more of like a methodical, like a whiteboard, like I'm kind of mapping things out? How do you approach it?
1: Dude, I I have a. a brain where everything's just chaos. So I don't have any whiteboards. I don't have any 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 like notepads <laughs> anywhere. My my chick's laughing because she knows how chaotic I am. Um, yeah, I, it's everything is just kind of off the cuff, you know. Like I see what I have. Sometimes I'll hit uh, a mental block and I don't do anything for a year because I just don't have any creative juices flowing. Nothing's nothing's coming from it, and I don't like to make things just to make things, you know
0: yeah certainly i mean i think there's probably a few breeders who have been guilty of putting out some stuff that fits that criteria oh yeah i've had a lot of people message me asking me about why top dog as a breeder is still so popular despite the fact like a lot of the crosses have produced like less than ideal results and like why why does he have such a diehard fandom, you know? Like I totally respect everything JJ's done for the scene and a lot of Money Mike's work is really well received, but it seems like some of, you know, the newer stuff put out by JJ is a bit hit and miss, maybe more of a miss.
1: You know, JJ's been around a long time. Um it's I think a lot of us old guys, including myself, it's a it's a struggle to stay relevant, you know? Um we realize that, as much as we want to, you know, work lines hard, um, take several years to work a line properly and release it. That's not what the the community and the seed buying public really demands. They want something new, shiny in front of their face all the time. So it's 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 a struggle to stay relevant. It's a struggle to keep your name out there and that always runs the risk of releasing something that is subpar that that comes back and affects your legacy. Um JJ is very fortunate that he made Stardog. Um he has the the I-95 um chem D I-95 has been a very popular one. Um I've I've worked with his white dog which I think is totally underrated. His DDNL lines, his DNL releases are totally underrated. But um yeah I think it's just like a, a lot of us old guys are trying to find a way to stay relevant in a time where, in a time of cookies and wedding cake, you know, uh, in a time of all that shit that has no interest to us at all. So trying to, to meld that into breeding that we do, um, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's a hard world. It's a hard, brutal world. Um, you know, he had the popularity of being in high times a bunch, getting all these kinds of, uh, uh, nods and stuff from high times saying, you know, best breeder this year, best breeder that year. And a lot of that was real, man. He was, he was really making his mark on the world. But with that comes a demand from the the seed buying public and new customers to on, to want new. Why aren't you using the wedding cakes? Why aren't you using the cookies? Why aren't you using this? Why, 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 why am I having to wait for this? Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to temper those two things. And and we're all finding our, our ways of, of working through it. And some, you know, I, I've hit speed bumps. I'm sure he has. And, and you know, I have put out stuff some people don't like. And it, it is a personal perspective on it. I think also uh, JJ has a lot of newer growers that buy his stuff that maybe aren't the best growers too. And that's why you're not seeing um, – a majority of the stuff come out as good. It's because it, his his clientele has changed. Before it was a lot of breeders buying his stuff. Now it's a lot of uh, modern growers. Um, and, and you know, J.J. will even admit sometimes he reacts to things a little, uh, mm, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Um, he reacts pretty quickly to stuff, and I have that same issue. So I it's not like I'm throwing him under the bus for reacting to shit, like, kind of hot-headedly. Um, he's a passionate man, so when people talk shit about what he's doing, he's passionate about it and and gives it back to him. And, and, and of course with that comes backlash. People don't like being talked to like that. And I've had that same problem myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, totally. I I agree with you. You know, I grew out his skunk OG and I, I found a keeper in there. No worries. But the overwhelming feedback I get is that people tend to be a little less than thrilled with some of the results they find. And so I guess in a, in a sense, a lot of people point to this factor of how he doesn't keep males. He uses like a new male every time. So people will often reference how like the first Star Dog release was like the shit. It was what you wanted. And then subsequent ones have not been as good. Do you feel like overall this is a good strategy or it might be actually working against the people employing it?
1: Um, you know, I don't keep a lot of. Ma- I try to keep males, but I lost a lot during the moon thing. I've lost some when I moved from San Diego back to Bakersfield. Um, I don't keep a lot of males around long. Um, I I do one good run with them. I'll keep them around just in case, as best I can. But if I don't, I don't. But I also take the time to select them, which is really important. Um, you want to you want to run them. You, you you don't know if a male is good or not till you run the progeny, and that's just a fact. You know. Um, that said i don't like to let's say i have bubblegum cookies and i use uh, whatever mail for it and i then want to make bubblegum cookies cuz it has a, a awesome reception and then put out the same name i you know i always have to denote it with a v2 if i'm using a different mail for that run or you know whatever so people can differentiate between the two and don't think they're getting the same first product or um, If it's a a filial generation like an F2 or F3 or F4 of whatever I'm doing, I like to denote that so they know they're not getting the F1 and not going to see the same exact results that the F1 got. I think it's important to clarify that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, of course. And I mean, I guess a final little kind of question I wanted to tease out based around this is I'd heard a while back, and admittedly, I should probably just message High and Lonesome and find out, but I'd heard that maybe some people from that whole New York crew had politely asked High and Lonesome to, you know, quit with these awesome Trez dog hybrids because, you know, like the Appalachia, like the Dog Waltz, they were phenomenal hybrids. And I guess the idea was like, you know, maybe he was doing a better job than they were. Um, how would you feel about that idea that, you know, maybe they politely asked him to stop breeding with that work?
1: Um, I know a little bit of the inside on that. I don't know what Hyan Lonesome would want me to to disclose because he's so fucking laid back. He doesn't give a fuck about anything drama-wise. But I do know that um, he was asked to work with a certain company that you, I mean, that we had just recently mentioned. And um, he wasn't really into it just because he's a—he's kind of a lobo. He's a lone wolf, you know? Um, and that might be why they then kind of twisted the narrative to sound like they asked him to stop. Um, it was more his choice to just kind of walk away from everything. He left. He just wasn't into it. He and, and if you noticed, a lot of people thought Dog Waltz was J.J.'s work. A lot of people thought that for a long time, and I don't know that – anyone ever took the time to say, no, no, that's not. That's actually high and lonesomes, you know. Um, and that's that's disappointing over time. But um, that dude is one of the coolest motherfuckers I've ever met. Um, he's a legit old school dude, old school Virginia dude. Uh, yeah, really cool motherfucker. And, and I think it, I, I have all the respect in the world for him. And the fact that he asked me to continue the Appalachia line for him, that was – What an honor, you know, that's fucking crazy. And, um, I had the honor of going and getting him back the, uh, the poodle nuts cut of uh, the dog waltz. So yeah, that's, that's one guy I really, really respect. I don't know that they asked him to not work that they might have felt like that and that it was showing up, uh, some of the work that was being released with the tray dog and stuff like that. But (laughs)
0: yeah no i I think i'm probably of the same opinion actually i think it was probably never expressed but they probably they probably felt it but um oh yeah i I will admit you know in one of the very early interviews i think i attributed dog waltz to to mass g of all people so hey you know (laughs) I'm, i'm just as guilty as every one of these things
1: yeah i don't know that that g did much breeding um Lots of accidents happened. I'm still trying to get uh, and, and you know Mass is one of my buddies, dude. Like we've been friends for a while, and uh, but I still can't get the answer from him about diesel. When was it created? Seems like a simple answer, but I cannot get a lot of answers out of that dude. Um, we can't get the answers about chem D and why there's so many different ChemDs Ds that all came sourced from him. There's a lot of a lot of questions that go around, and because he's my buddy, I don't I don't put the the screws to him too hard about it. Um, he was a young dude when all the chem stuff happened. And I think, I think if people realized how young he was when all that happened, a lot of the expectations that they have for how stuff was handled would go away. Um, he's a super nice dude.
0: Yeah, 100%, you know, shout out Mass G, And I always remind myself of that, you know, like no matter what anyone has to say about the story or the gaps in it or whatever, like dude was 17 when he popped the seeds. Like, fuck me. When I was 17, I couldn't even keep a plan alive, let alone, exactly. let alone preserve it for years. So like so much credit to that
1: guy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And, you know, and then there's other things like certain people that were involved during that first transaction that hang around and verify people's cuts for them. Um, that really don't know shit about shit when it comes to the chem, but have attached their name permanently to the chem. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've had come to me saying, Oh, this person verified this cut for me and oh uh, you know, they're part of the early chem fam, so I'm pretty sure it's legit, you know, and that same person handing out cuts to dickheads like Joint Breath and others, that there's there's a lot of frustrating stuff and a lot of a lot of weird expectations, a lot of weird assumptions made with how the chem family stuff operated in the early days and how, how attached these guys really were to each other, how much they interacted, how much they actually bred, um, and how much were accidents. And, and like I said, G was young, man. Like, I, I, I would love to hear the true tale of D, the chem D. I would love to hear the true tale of all of those. And I don't know that we'll ever hear that. Um, and, and I think it's a shame because I think it would be an interesting story to hear the actual facts of each D and how it came to be, what really happened with the sister, which was, which was a sister S1, why was that used as the D, why was that passed as the D, etc. Things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I've always personally felt like uh, Joe Brand could probably fill some of these holes in, but unfortunately, I've been told by too many sources that you just can't trust what he says.
1: Yeah, he's off the rails, and that's unfortunate. Um, that's real unfortunate. Uh, yeah, that sucks, it, but it just is what it is with that.
0: Yeah, that's life, I guess. So, to kind of change things up a bit, since the last time we spoke, um, you're now vending through some seed banks. You know, shout out Seeds Here Now and James Bean, friends of yep. both of us. How did this come about, and how does it feel to now be affiliated with two rather big seed banks, most notably Seeds Here Now?
1: Um after the moon situation, um during that time I, I I've always been protective about who my merchant account was because it's really hard for breeders and seed sellers to have a merchant account. That's something you have to guard with your life. But I take chances on friends and and Mooney and his buddy. Uh, so I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, not really important. But he, um, they wanted to start a seed company, and because I trusted them, he had my moms and was taking care of them for me. Supposedly, I, I told them who my merchant account was. And the second that I found out my plants were dead, I got reported to my merchant account for selling seeds. Um, so I lost that, and I lost the ability to accept credit cards. And in this in, in this in this world, if you can't accept credit cards, it's a really hard road to travel. Most people, are. these are impulse buys, Um, they'll make an order and won't send the cash because it takes a lot of effort and we're all a bunch of fucking stoners and that's the way it is. So it was really important to have that. Also during that time, I mean early on me and James were not really necessarily friends. Um, I was very judgmental of James because of who he was associated with when he first came into the business. But over the years, I've watched James work really hard to get to the point of where he's at. He, that dude fucking hustles nonstop, nonstop. And and over the years, I even though like we argue and shit, I've always had an appreciation for how hard he's worked. And and if people work and, and pay their dues, dude, who am I to fucking judge them? You know. Um, so with that said, when all that happened. Me and James started talking, and we had talked about working together for a bit, but you know, we just kind of eh, eh, hemmed and hawed. He didn't quite trust me because I've, I've called him a fucking retard publicly plenty of times. And I didn't really trust him because I don't trust seed banks. Like I've had a lot of bad interactions in the, in the old days with European seed banks, the attitude, uh, 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 serious seeds, or not serious, I'm sorry, not serious seeds, uh, sensible seeds, different than the original sensible seed bank. Sensible seeds, they scam me out of, you know, 20 grand. I had Trichome Kings, uh, NYC Kid, AKA Th underscore Gobs, that 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 piece of shit who pretends he has Asian fantasy. I had him scam me, scam me out of fucking tens of thousands of dollars. Along with he scammed the Rev, he scammed a lot of people. Um, so it's been a hard, hard word, hard world trusting seed banks. But um, I, I eventually tried it with James, and it's been working great. It's been working awesome. He's he's been true to his word. Everything he said he'd do, he's done. Um, and then I also work with Breeders Direct Seed Co., who is a good friend of mine. We're kind of helping him get established, and uh, he's he's doing it right, dude. He's only picking up breeders that, for the most part, there may be a few odds and ends of, of people that aren't really, haven't been around a long time, but for the most part, I mean, he's got me, CSI, he's picking up Pipsweed, El Jefe, like a lot of people like that that, that, are, that are older breeders and are established, and he's trying to do it right
0: yeah for sure i mean i think uh yeah i can echo the sentiments about ct now they've always been really awesome in regards to our relationship um and james in general you're right man i don't i don't think i know many if any people who hustle harder than that guy definitely no he's
1: he's the king of the hustle dude king of the hustle for sure
0: yeah so I noticed um, for a while, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I love your feminizing spray that um, there was basically like some issues with like payment gateways and stuff. And so what I was wondering is how hard is it to operate a can business given like the range of limitations that like financial institutions place on us? Like, yeah, I mean, you, you must have patience beyond words given that whole debacle.
1: Um, I constantly have a worry in my gut every morning that I'm going to wake up with an email saying you're no longer active with a merchant account um, because it's really, really, really hard to get them. Um, yeah, and now with hemp being legal, people are more open-minded to the seed aspect of it, um, but it hasn't always been that way, dude. And, and uh, you know, I get a lot of requests from a lot of breeders asking me, how the fuck are you pulling this off? And, you know, I I, now, after the moon situation, I don't say shit anymore. I'm, you know, I can't trust anyone with my merchant account shit. Um, but it's hard, man. It takes a lot of patience. Um, things will go down, things will go wrong. And, uh, and frankly, just accepting cash—it it, it is not a working model for me. I, there's about a 10% follow-through rate on on orders, and uh, you know I've I've told other breeders this that are big that go that route, and and they've confirmed it. 10% follow-through rate on orders. That means 90% of the people who order aren't going to pay. That's rough. That is so rough. It's defeating. You know, like you see all these orders come through. You're stoked. Maybe you're doing a big drop of something really special. 90% of those orders of it. Are bullshit, And so you stop, you, you apportion this amount of seeds for that. And then all of a sudden, you know, three weeks down the line, you have them to re- have to resell a bunch of them. Then people are calling you out. Hey, you said you were only going to make so much. Why are you selling it again? You know, they don't understand the ins and outs of the cash business. Um, having a merchant account is everything. and And it's hard. It's really hard.
0: Yeah, so these same kind of financial restrictions that we're talking about were basically imposed on last year's Emerald Cup Which I think prior to the most recent one was a really good event. Uh, but last year, you know It felt different, you know, there wasn't the same energy in the air It just it just wasn't the same event basically How do you feel these events are going to go down in the future and do you plan to go to the next emerald cup?
1: um I I have personal feelings about the people behind Emerald Cup that put it on um, that make me not want to work with them. Uh, I think, I think they are the same kind of guys bringing shitheads like Phylos around, backing them up and bringing scummy CEO types and saying, they're cool. You know, let's work with them. It's a big money event and it was bound to happen. Um, Yeah. Last year was not remotely the same feeling as the first one. The first one, Um, I mean it's stressful being around a bunch of people as is having a bunch of people come up to you that know what you look like and you don't know who they are what they look like or what their agendas or intentions are Um, this last one dude I felt sick when I was in there but I, I had never my live feed wasn't as big the first year the second year like last year uh, this re- most recent one when I was walking around, I was getting grabbed every few seconds. And and being in a crowd of that many people and getting grabbed from all angles, it's a little intimidating, right? Like you don't know who's going to fucking shank you in your back or, or want to shake your hand for that matter. Um, yeah, it was a different energy all around. It was very corporatized. It was not – it wasn't anything that I really liked. I'll, I'll be at the Emerald Cup, but not necessarily – I'll be in the city of the Emerald Cup. I may not attend next year's Emerald Cup um but i'll be there throwing throwing our our little shindig of course that that we are now making annual uh oh, hell yeah something to look forward to yeah yeah it's going to be i mean last year it was kind of put together at the last minute you know and and we weren't sure who was going to show up um one person tried to hijack the whole thing and saying that there was a fucking dui checkpoint no one go there come to my party cuz i had a little i had a little instagram um like a circle you know where where a bunch of us were in the message and uh, that's how we were communicating about what was going to happen where it was going to be and all that And the last minute after the Emerald Cup when everybody was about to go someone's like hey DUI checkpoint everybody watch out which there was no DUI checkpoint and they they were like hey come to this barbecue place so yeah
0: yeah opportunistic to say the least I mean just just relating back to the point about the Emerald Cup itself I'd heard some whispers from people that like you know basically there was like a small if not large consensus from breeders that they were possibly gonna shrug off the next emerald cup and go to the cup that was being held in mass on that same weekend Um, you given any thought to that one at all and I mean if you heard that there was a sizable group of people doing that would you consider doing that
1: um no because we have our party uh, and everything like that but I know that one person in particular was trying to push everyone in that direction and saying that this person and that person was going to be there but then I talked to the actual people and they're like no I'm not going there so I think one person in particular is trying to make that happen and uh, yeah I don't know I, I I think it's cool I mean it, there should be events going on at both places and stuff but we have we have our annual party now the, the Can Illuminati party so yeah
0: for sure something to drag people in if they were being allured by that uh, that other offer yeah yeah so, a little bit off topic, but I really, really, really want to delve into it. What are some of the lines from other breeders coming out in the
1: future that you're aware of that you're
0: looking forward to?
1: Um, CSI, a lot of the stuff he's been doing, the Triangle Cush S1s, his old family purple reversals and the Trump reversals, those are going to be phenomenal. Um, I don't make any secret of it that him and Bodie are like my top two favorite breeders. And I consider, uh, CSA kind of a mentor, man. Like he's, 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 uh, he's hard to get close to. He's very hard to get close to. And and there's a reason for that. There's a lot of scammers and stuff and he doesn't want to deal with it. And I don't blame him. But, um, when we started becoming good friends, he really has taken care of me, brought me in, put me where I needed to be and to meet a lot of people that I, that I should have been already met, you know? Um, his lines, he he tests. He tests way more seeds than I even do. Um, he he does large populations of pops before they're ever released. Um, the ABC—that's a line I've hunted for over a decade. He's been on hunting it for probably two decades. Hunting the ABC, the Australian bastard cannabis, and a lot of people don't see the value in it because it's weird looking. It's kind of hempy. It's not really potent. Um, but there's a lot more value to, to strains than just recreational potency. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. Um, that's something a lot of people have been hunting, and he managed to, to, bring, to bring forward with Painted Forest Farms, which is really cool. And a, a young guy getting into this, this scene that happened to stumble upon that and, and is making his name with it, which is really cool. And it seems like he's taking a genuine interest in cannabis history, and we need more young people like that doing it. Yeah, um, definitely. Who else? Who else? Um, I'm hoping with the DJ short work with the Newberry and stuff like that, we're going to see a return to the old Blue Sativa stuff. I really hope that that's going to be the case with it. Um, I have some of my friends, El Jefe, he's doing Chem91 work. Um, I'm really, really proud of him and the BX work he's doing with that. Um, I'm excited to see Skunk VA doing some projects. Um, I think that's really cool. Someone worked with that line that long. Uh, Not-so-dog, really stoked to see his work that he's doing. The, the creator of Mendo Purps, the one who brought it to the table. Um, let's see, who else? Pipsweed, one of my one of my best friends. Uh, his Irene Sour Diesel stuff, I've smoked it. It's fucking killer, killer, killer shit. He's doing a lot of sour work, a lot of Irene work, a lot of Death Star work. Um, yeah, man. Uh, so good seeds. He's new to seed breeding he's behind uh, Breeders Direct Seed Co. Uh, he's working a lot of hype lines, but he's trying to keep them unique and, and I applaud him for that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, well, That's so, just to name a few. So, I'm probably forgetting so, a bunch.
0: Yeah, so much to talk about. I mean, the first one which piqued my ears when you mentioned it was how, I totally forgot, uh, CSI, who I, I totally agree, an amazing breeder. Um, he's he's got that cutting the you know the keeper one that he calls the trump or like you know it's got the word trump in the name and uh it was interesting to see the backlash like how many people are so against trump as a politician that they were like willing to boycott this cut and it's fucking phenomenal like i mean the old family purple like jeez that's some good weed like what do you think about like people just being put off australian purely because of the name
1: uh, i they must not understand the history of how that name was came up with it was done by um our buddy Redbeard uh, at, at uh, Portland CSI. Um, uh, I, I don't want to say his real name, but yeah, he did the Obama Kush. He's responsible for the Obama Kush. He, he selected that cut, made his name with that cut. He also selected the Trump and named it. It wasn't it wasn't Caleb who named it, and it was because he had an Obama. It was made during that era. Now we have the Trump era. Doesn't mean he supports him in, in any way, shape, or form. I don't think. Uh, most breeders would be a huge Trump supporter just because of the uh, the pushback from corporatocracy, you know, that's invading our community. But then again, I you know, I don't know. I don't support any politicians. I think they should all be hung.
0: <laughs> Anarchy,
1: Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, they're all dirty. But yeah, I, you know, I I think if they understood that it wasn't necessarily like a pro-Trump move, it was just because the first one was named Obama, the second one named Trump. That's why. You know I think if they understood that it would be a lot different
0: of course so you mentioned uh, pipsweed working with the Irene sour that's interesting because a lot of people talk very highly of Irene yeah it also goes quite you know it's it's not as well known among the circles as a lot of other cuts and combined with the sour like it's, it's like a powerhouse it's like these two really highly regarded cuts when do you think we can expect
1: to see some of that going live you know, Pip is another one that um, he's a perfectionist, and when you're a perfectionist in in the artistic breeding world, it you want to make sure everything's fucking sound. And he will not release that shit until it's absolutely perfect. And I think I think in the next year you're going to see the Irene sour. Uh, Irene, I think, isn't as used because it's not as photogenic as a lot of other cuts. It's not a beautiful cut. It's not very resinous. It's very awkward looking. It doesn't look like most OG Kush's, Um, but the turfs on that shit is crazy. It has a beautiful high, um, and it breeds really well. In fact, it has a better structure than most OG Kushes. It looks like it has some Bubba in it, um, and it looks like it ha- might have something else in it too. I'm not sure what else is in it, but it's it's most likely an OG Bubba crossed to something else, and it maintains that, that Bubba structure where you don't have to fucking majorly stake it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you know what sour he used in order to make these seeds? Is it a fem cross or did he use like karma's sour release and get like a male from that?
1: He uses, uh, he has a few sours he keeps. He has what's referred to as the Chaco, or a cob. Well, it has a lot of different names, but that old cut of sour, the, what's considered the Manny cut, the original cut. Um, which is the original name for the Sour from the Sour crew, it would be the Manicut. fondo um, I think, is the one that named that. Um, he also has a Sour, I believe, from Resdog's work that was used to make the original Death Star. And I do believe that is the one that he used in the Irene Sour Diesel, but I might be wrong. He might have used the Chaco cut. Um, he's done his own Sour BX work along the uh, along the lines that Karma did, um, using obviously a different cut than Karma's using to do this. Um, Karma has his own selected cut from Res work, and Pip's been doing both the I believe the the original Manny cut, Chaco cut and the the one used in death star he's been doing back crosses using that stuff
0: interesting and and what do you think about karma's sour i mean i don't have never smoked or anything but i mean it looks it looks true to form right
1: it does look like a sour yeah he's done a great job with it the headbanger and all that stuff came out beautiful and it came out true to form with a sour you know headbanger i think is is probably the best non traditional but Amer- i would say Modern headband you could call it like the sour OG headband as opposed to the northern light super skunk I think it's probably one of the best releases of a, a modern headband line in C form
0: and So what are your thoughts on the very original sour? I mean just to clarify I might be retired, you know insert that Alex Jones meme where it's like I'm kind of retarded but um <laughs> you, you know like is the original sour around or is that just long gone?
1: Okay, so it, it, you're not retarded, this has been something that is is—it's one of the hardest nuts to crack. Um, I've talked to almost everyone involved except for Manny, and I don't think anyone's really talked to Manny. Um, Vondo and Klopp were roommates back then, and this is the story from Vondo. Uh, Vondo was the one who had the bag of seeds for Manny, and it was labeled Our Diesel. Now, their diesel was either Chem 91 or a bag seed from the Chem 91 which could be a Chem 91 hybrid or an S1 of Chem 91 they don't know they're not sure but it was from seed supposedly um, that's from that bag of our diesel was selected the Manny Cut which is what we know as the Choco Sour Diesel today that's the best that anybody's put it together um, that you have Michael Klopp um, who is who is the weasel and he's given many stories on many different podcasts that don't quite jive with each other. He's a super nice dude, but I'm not sure how accurate he remembers it or can retell it. Uh, but he was the the partner of, or not partner, but uh, roommate of Vondo. Um, I don't want to go into details about all the personal interactions of people dating each other's girlfriends and stuff, but Vondo eventually left. Vondo left uh, New York, went to Cali, and it was out of the picture when um, the weasel started pushing sour diesel, which was supposedly from the seeds that said our diesel. Now, I don't know how much of that's true. You know, it's one person's re- recollection of it, but it was the person who was involved heavily in it. So you you kind of have to tender uh, the human story with facts and try to put together facts from a bunch of different sources, and that seems to jive the most.
0: Yeah, of course. So, it seems like the sour to me has like an even more muddy story than the chem dog would you agree
1: oh fuck yeah it's 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 so muddy dude and it's just because people have uh uh, an agenda i mean you have aj who has his agenda to be mr sour you have the weasel who aj kind of attributes to it but the weasel wants to pretend that he was more of a breeder in it than it being just kind of happenstance and Maybe he remembers himself being more of a breeder than he was, and and that's cool, you know? Um, You know, people remember shit way differently looking back. Uh, You know, it was a long time ago, but somewhere in there is the truth. And uh, the one thing that, that goes in line with both the 91 and the Sour, to me, in my opinion, is the super skunk. You always see super skunk expressions in both of those lines. That's the thing. That's the bind that ties, you know?
0: of course of course so at the end of the day it seems to me like a lot of genetics just tie back to super skunk and northern lights how do you feel about yep. that
1: yeah no I mean uh, Afghani one skunk one northern lights in haze that's that's the basis of almost everything now Granted, you have Malawi, you have other Africans, you have other lines that have been brought in over time, but but the overall gene pool is Afghani one, Skunk one, Northern Light, Super Skunk, you know, like all those baseline, haze specifically, those are the ones that make up a a majority of the population of what we have today.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, the final one I wanted to ask you about, which I always get messages about from is it's a smaller community of followers, but God, they're passionate, the PIFF. Is it around? The piff. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah, the piff's still around. Um, Hazar has a piff, and I do believe from uh, people he's given it to, and that I trust their palate um, that it is the real piff. Um, it's an old NL5 haze cut, old NL5 haze, and that's all it is. But it's a very specific cut. The the cut most people are searching for when they say the word piff um, is the Frankie. It has a lot of different names, the Frankie, the Poudet, the the Washington Heights haze, the Uptown haze, stuff like that. Um, It's all referring to a specific haze that smells like a Catholic church, like the frankincense and myrrh type uh, smell, along with some metallic, which you'll find in old like positronics haze, along with some... Ammonia, which you're getting from the Northern Light aspect in the Steve Murphy Afghani, that's what people mostly refer to. Now, there's also the Mango Piff, which is an older mango type pheno that came out of the same Northern Light five haze. Um, you can see that same similar phenotype and work um, in the in in Shanti's Mango Haze line. You're seeing that same pheno being worked with similar type highs. Um, granted, most people see less of the Mango Piff up in New York because it takes a lot longer to grow. It's not as in high demand as the Frankie piff. But now I think the the term piff has been thrown on a lot of bullshit that has nothing to do with the piff. The, um, the Cuban black haze cut going around, a lot of people call that piff. It's not piff. It's it's not the Frankie specifically. But people also use the term piff interchangeably with dank, fire, things like that. Refer to really good weed as that that piff. You know? It's a big wrapper thing to do. So yeah that that's that's kind of the the roundabout story on the piF.
0: Yeah, yeah, another one of those ones where it's just it's a bit a bit elusive for the most of the general public, I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I was fortunate to have it early on. Um, I didn't know what the fuck it was when I was handed it. I had no idea. I'm not from the East Coast, so I'm not I wasn't privy. There wasn't anything online about the piF during that era. Nobody was talking about the piF during that era when I got it, but it was from a friend. I was actually a nemesis, online nemesis, the dude that would troll the fuck out of me um, early on that ended up becoming friends with me because he had the same passion I did. And we eventually saw that in each other. And he said, Yo, I'm going to hand you these seeds, dude. It's called the PIF. You're going to thank me later. He said, You know, and then he put the stipulations on it. You can't breed with it pure, never release it pure, or you're going to have some Dominicans after your ass. And you don't want that. No, I don't want that. And I didn't know what it was, but when I got it, when I grew it, when I used it, I realized how special it truly was.
0: 100%. So, if we just kind of link back to a point you made, you mentioned Shanti and, you know, some of the mango in his lines. If we just take a little sidestep of him for a moment, it wasn't all too long ago, maybe, you know, a bit over a month or more, that we sadly saw the passing of Neville. How do you feel about Neville, given, you know, you had that interaction with him, and more importantly? How do you think he's going to be remembered? What do you think his legacy should be?
1: Neville was a complex man. Um, I, I did work with Neville in 2010, 2011, during his resurgence. I, was, I wasn't friends with him during the heyday of the Seed Bank or anything like that. I'm way too young for that. But I did have the privilege of interacting with him and doing a little bit of work with him during 2010 and 2011. Um, he's a complex man. A lot of guys that operated during that era had to have some shade to him, you know. Um, He may not have been the best at keeping promises or delivering on them. I don't want to badmouth him though, because there is no doubt, there is no doubt that cannabis genetics would not be where they are now without the seed bank and his early work and all this shit. He is uh, an absolute legend in that, and he had the fucking balls to run that it took a large set of steel fucking cojones to fucking pull off running the seat bank. Like he did in, in such a gangster fashion, you know, the cannabis castle, that's his legend. And that's what I hope he's remembered for. I, I we all have our quirks. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like anything about me and, and maybe that's, that's justified, you know, in their, in their eyes. Um, You know it's going to be the same way with Neville we're all complex quirky characters to even be involved in this business it's 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 uh it is sad that he passed there were a lot of stories left to tell from Neville there are a lot of questions left to be answered from Neville um and we can't get those answers now I know he has a son that was also interested in breeding and I expect to see a resurgence from him at some point um I don't know how heavily involved he got with his dad's stuff, or how much he more he knew than anyone else about his dad's stuff. With that said, I hope I hope if he does pop up, he carries on the legacy even better.
0: Of course, and so it seems as though a lot of people and magazines articles have been quick to kind of say that you know his Hayes was his big contribution, and undeniably he cleaned it up. But I feel like there are some other lines that are really in contention for his legacy. Like I mean, we've been talking about NL Hayes for a while now, and I feel like that's more his than what just pure Hayes is. How yeah, do you feel oh yeah. about how do you feel about him being labelled as like you know, like Hayes was his contribution?
1: Um yeah, Hayes wasn't really his contribution. The NL five Hayes was his actual work, and I think it's uh it may be even more important than the than the haze by itself. Um, granted, he couldn't have made it without the haze, but as far as bringing forward potency and modern lines, NL5 haze was absolutely integral. It was the most grown line in the 90s. If you go back and look at all the high times issues from the 90s, all you'll see from reader submissions is NL5 haze. That's it. Um, that, the super skunk, um, ultra skunk, I believe was the original name for it. That kind of stuff, the Afghan tea work, which may or may not be Afghani one. He said it was Maple Leaf Indica, but that may be because Sam's Afghani one, that was Sam's, and him and Sam were ultimate enemies, you know, and everything. They did have some interaction early on, but, you know, they became very hate filled for each other. And I think that that drove uh, a lot of their brilliance and a lot of their madness, you know.
0: Yes, I mean, undeniably, it was inevitable we were going to get to this, but uh, how do you feel about our buddy Dave Watson's acquisition of the Fire Shares and uh, the coinciding announcement of their breeding program?
1: Wow. Um, Dave Watson's another very interesting character. You know, you can't talk about Dave without talking about Rob Clark. Um, They go hand in hand. Um, There is no one in this world I respect more when it comes to breeding than Rob Clark. He's done more for advancing the breeding of this plant, whether through science and, and through education. Um, no one's done more than Rob Clark with that. Sam is an amazing breeder. He's a brilliant dude. There again, no denying that. he, is, he was some of the first doing male reversals, uh, some you know early on doing reversals. There's so much that he's offered this community and he's a, uh, he is an often vilified figure. And and not for no reason, not for no reason. Um, I think his attitude and um, how he interacts with people drives a lot of that. Um, there is a lot of debate on whether there was um, cohesion with the DEA, whether that was true or not. Um, there's not a lot of physical paper proof. But when you know I was working with Neville, Neville said, yeah, he was known as Uncle Sam because he walked around with this goddamn DEA agent and everybody knew that dude, the DEA agent. <clears throat> but whether he ratted on people or not, there's no real paper proof of that. And I don't like to call someone a rat unless it's on paper. That's that's classless. With that said, can, Sam has always been about personal gain with cannabis. And I know a lot of people don't feel good about that, especially when it leads to to corporatocracy, bringing in these corporate assholes like GW Pharma. And, and Rob and Sam were integral in GW Pharma and cannabis and their their work with it. Um, we don't know how much they still have to do with that. Uh, the first mentions of Phylos we can find online are from Sam. Sam was on IC Mag. we still have the quotes, we still have the screenshots, we still have all that stuff of Sam mentioning Phylos, asking people to send in their seeds that won't pop. These old seeds that you have in your, just send them in. Just send in these seeds, yeah, they're not worth anything to you. Just send them into us. And a lot of people didn't know about tissue culture popping. They didn't know about genetic mapping. They didn't know about CRISPR. They don't know about any of this stuff, and they don't see the value in it. Um, and I, you know, I, I almost sent stuff into them because of it, and I'm, I'm really glad I didn't. But a lot of really special stuff was submitted to Phylos based on Rob and Sam's work. Um, yeah, they, it's the whole Philos fall down has been kind of interesting to watch. I've been saying for a long time, I've been one of the, the loudest people um, fighting against Philos for years now, two years I think. It was when I first started really understanding who they were, what they were about, that they were doing these weird shady things like vouching for themselves by using a shell company called Open Cannabis Project. Um, but I got a lot of backlash from it. I got I kept getting called conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hat mat, you know, like and, and that, that isn't a good way to, to feel, and being the only person standing up with a big platform, standing up against a multi-billion dollar corporation, that's not fun. That's not a, a position I even wanted to be in, and I, I thought a lot of nights about it before I said anything. Um, so there is some good feelings coming from the fact that everybody's finally fucking starting to wake up, and all it took was – a few years of collecting what phylos themselves said and went on the record as saying and showing using that and showing them a mirror of themselves and putting their words back out there in a cohesive form that people can understand and look at and say they are obviously contradicting themselves they used uh underhanded and and non-transparent means to get the genetics that they have and the data they have for the purpose of breeding and the the presentation that was circulated from 2015 clearly shows that phylos had the direction and goal of ultimately breeding and right now they're trying to say it was a new idea that they had and they're just getting into it but they were presenting investors with a, uh, a presentation saying that that was their ultimate goal even back then um how rob and sam well we know rob is on the chair uh, he's a chairman uh, on the board of phylos we know that <coughs> how sam and GW Pharma are ultimately tied in. I'm not sure. Phylos is working with a company called GW Industries, also known as Groundworks Industries. There's no clear tie yet to GW Pharma, but I'm going to find that fucking tie. I will. If there's one to be found, I'm going to find it. Um, there's Proof Cultivar that also goes under the name of GW Industries. We have Jeremy Plum, who started uh, Open Cannabis Project with Mowgli Holmes. also involved with the Cultivation Classics. Being a partner of Phylos and all this being this weird incestuous circle of, of uh, corporations and shell companies, all trying to, all for the purpose of deceiving people and getting the said data to sell um, as a whole to Scots. They often say that they're open source, but they don't have an open source license, so they're not open source. They, they When you ask them about it, they'll say that they're working on getting their license to be open source, but in their rebuttal to this whole thing, they keep saying, the, using the word open source to try to trick people into believing that they're open with the data. Everybody can see the data. They haven't published a data set in two years. During those two years, they've tried selling off to Scotts and Monsanto. Um, I asked Paige from Phylos directly, have you ever courted Scotts Monsanto to sell the data? And she said, uh, I don't know, which was one of my favorite answers of all time. Because Scotts has heavy NDAs, and uh, she couldn't quite say yes because they have non-disclosure agreements. She couldn't say no because she's too stupid, and didn't, and maybe they've already been caught in so many lies. She didn't want to get caught in another.
0: Of course, I mean. It seems to me like if nothing else it's just the way they've handled the situation has been quite problematic i mean even if like let's just let's just play devil's advocate and say that they did have best intentions and it was a recent idea and it wasn't very well thought out and all of these things which don't necessarily seem true but let's just say they are it seems like it's still been like a pr nightmare 101 on their part so it just seems to back give, you know, give credence to the idea that like, no, it is what they're trying to deny.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's blatant. Um, a lot of people are losing focus on the idea that they are quote unquote stealing fucking genetics. They didn't steal anything. It was handed to them but it was handed handed to them under a false pretense. That's the problem. The problem was the lies, the lack of transparency. The, um, I mean, they called me, they outright called me a liar and a conspiracy theorist when I brought up their breeding program and their tissue culture lab six months ago. They called me a conspiracy theorist and said that that Tissue Culture Lab didn't exist after they made a press release in a business publication about the Tissue Culture Lab. So they're talking out both sides of their mouth, and they really think that our community is so stupid and so stoned we're not going to catch on to it. And um, that, that really shows how they look at us and that they are not part of our community, and they clearly don't understand what we're about and who we are.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly. I do, however, have some questions myself around the actual applicability of this data. Like, you know, having a bit of a molecular biology background, I, I can kind of understand a lot of the technology they're talking about. And I still don't understand how they plan to use this data set to help them breed better. Because it seems like it's still a bit fanciful in some ways. Like, I mean, unless they're planning on doing some actual, like, cas 9 CRISPR stuff. But I feel like that would take a long time to develop... You know the specific primers they need to change certain loci so yeah it it just seems like it's so ill thought out but maybe i'm just retarded
1: no um i think it's misdirection i think it's clearly misdirection they intend to sell the data which is why it's not up there to view publicly i don't think they intend to breed shit um maybe they'll do some cbd work and lame attempts at putting markers in but the problem is that they have short read data that's why they're having a problem selling it. That's why Scott's Monsanto didn't buy is because it's short read data. Um, I talked with Kevin McKernan from Medicinal Genomics and, and as a disclaimer, they are a direct competitor to Phylos. So of course he's going to say certain things that, that cast a negative light on them. But I, I have to say he's been very fair in this whole um, debacle with Phylos in explaining the the science behind it and the fact that they're using short read data. So their data sets are incomplete. There's a reason why they're still... Confused why forum the forum cut of cookies and ogkb are showing up as the same exact clone when they clearly are not. Um, they're still thinking all the og cushes are s ones of each other, even hybrids, and and they they look, they come back as being the same clone. It's because their data sets aren't complete, and without without complete data sets, with incorrect data sets, they're not going to be able to do the breeding that they want to do. That's and I think they know that now. So all this breeding stuff is misdirection from what they're really doing which is trying to sell everyone's data
0: yeah okay so how do you feel about uh, molecular farms being granted the rather broad sweeping utility patents last year which you know there was an analysis done by it. I can't remember the author's name but they basically said you know if I've got my you know my things correct here Seems as if at any point, if they wanted, they could pull the plug on the entire cannabis industry in terms of like these utility patents seemingly cover all cannabis that currently exists.
1: Yeah, they are very broad sweeping. And the problem with patents, once they're granted, it takes an act of God and a lot of money to fight them. It takes a lot of money to fight them. So, um, it's, it's terrifying. Um, but again, cannabis wasn't It's always been in the black market. The black market's always existed. Let them try to sue us in the fucking black market. Let them figure it out, you know? We'll go under a thousand different fucking names so they have no idea who to sue. That's what we'll do. Um, They fight legally, we fight real, you know? So they can try to use their bullshit, but it's not gonna work and not be affecting the black market. Uh, The legal market has already shown in many cases, whether it's Bedrockan in in Amsterdam, or the, uh, I can't remember the name of the one in Israel, They want a monopoly. There is going to be a monopoly where people have to buy from one certain source to get their weed. They may make it look like it's not a monopoly by having a bunch of shell companies and shell corporations under them, but there's going to be one owner doing this stuff. That's the way it's going, and and that's the way it's going to be. We have to fight back the black market.
0: So do you think that there might be a certain... Event or like, you know, kind of something specific to happen before they do, you know Bring everything online and just try to pull the plug on everyone
1: Yeah, they're waiting for a federal legal legalization at the federal level Um, And it's gonna be through people like when I was going through proof cultivar and all their employees They have their own lobbyist they and they have literally, it shows on their page, a multi billion dollar fluid finances. So they're able to afford these lobbyists pushing through uh, bills when they want to be pushed through. And they're behind a lot of anti home grower bills. And I think once people realize that these big companies, Proof, fucking GW Industries, whoever the fuck they really are, um, Phylos, all these people are behind these anti home growing bills. Once people realize that, then it's going to get real disgusting because you're you're fucking with people's livelihoods, and these aren't people that go to lawyers. These aren't people that use lawyers to settle shit, and they're gonna they're gonna run into a few scary places for them for their their personal uh their personal protection, you know. And that's not for me. That's not me saying I'm going to do anything, but it's a reality. That's this is what they're dealing with. They're not made they're not made uh to work in an uh, quasi legal industry. They're soft. daddy's money
0: boys gang gang (laughs) (laughs) straight up Um, so I mean ultimately how do you feel about the idea of technology assisted or like entirely facilitated breeding programs would work do you think it's inevitable that we will reach a point where like you know tech assisted breeding just supersedes like using first principles and just us you know picking what we think is good
1: This is where you'll hear the hippie side of me come out, which there is very little that exists in my punk rock soul. But goddammit, I truly believe that that plants are sentient beings. And this robo-breeding shit, I I think the best quote I ever heard was from Bodhi. I don't need your machine to to tell me what my plant is. I smoke my bud. I know how it is. I grow my bud. I see the phenotypes at hand. I don't need your machine to tell me how to breed. I've been doing this long before it. And and the, the whole machine breeding is it it's going to have its it's going to have a, a place in it, but I think it loses a lot of the soul, a lot of the art behind it. A lot of the art and the soul behind it. It loses a lot of the love between the plant and the and the grower, which I don't care what anyone says, dude, like when I'm depressed, my plants are depressed and it's not just because of maybe I'm not watering as much, maybe I'm not paying as much attention. They feel it. They interact with you, You're, you know, um, yeah, it's it's going to lose all that if it all goes to that, that kind of breeding. Um, it has its place in certain medical applications. It will exist. Um, I think it's cool to work in tandem with it, but never lose the soul. Never lose the soul in the art and breeding.
0: I agree. I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they, they definitely interact with us, you know, if not just being oh, stimulated yeah. by our voices.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: so, to kind of change things up, get a little more lighthearted, uh, I want to jump back to some older strains for a minute, you know. One I've been thinking about for a while that I think you probably have some experience with, Cali Mist. used to hear about it a lot, and then it just kind of
1: fell off, you know. What do you think happened yeah. there? So, Cali Mist, um, I believe... Simon himself. I don't want to misquote him because I've seen people misquote him and he gets super pissed, but he had lost some of the original parents to Cali Mist in a bust back in the, the older days. And since then it hasn't been able to be recreated the same. However, I do have an old pack of original Cali Mist, uh, here. And, um, I've been kind of waiting to pop them. Um, myself, I don't have the, the desire to, to really go down the Cali Mist route. Um, I'm kind of hoping that someone comes along that has that major desire and the ability to do that, and puts these seeds to good use and and brings it back, you know. But um, I don't I have so many other projects that I haven't focused on it. But those seeds are there and they're well stored um, for for any real breeder um, with skin in the game. So don't don't be hitting me up, fucking noobs. Don't be hitting me up for my Cali Mist. It's only going to go to special people that I know that really have skin in the game that have a want and desire to bring this line back.
0: Yeah, of course. So, you know, from all of my observations, it seems like the largest component of good breeding or a good breeding program, at least, is having like really good P1 parental stock on top of good selection. However- For everyone living outside of the us it it can be hard to find truly phenomenal clones to breed with so you're forced to deal with seeds so with so many of us in that situation should we just constantly be buying seeds cracking them trying to find better parents and breed with that or should we focus on creating strains um in terms of like like just trying to make an offspring that's better than the parents if you get what i mean by that
1: yeah um i think maybe not constantly be buying seeds because I don't think there's a constant supply of good parentage out there. I think there's a finite supply yet there is a lot of seeds out there to buy. But there's a finite supply of good parent stock. Um, be mindful of it. Go back and learn a lot of these baselines. These baselines you can still buy from certain Dutch companies that and they may not be the best versions of what they once were but you can still find those old phenos in those lines. I think that's a great place to start. Um, Clones are what they are. Like the clone onlys, they're great. There's a high demand of them in the U.S. because there's hype behind certain ones. Some of them have, some of them have created their own hype and and are as good as they they say they are. However, all of these started with a seed. Everything starts with a seed, you know. Um, I think I think things can be created absolutely magical in any land that you're at as long as you have good parent stock and seed stock to work from. Overall
0: how do you feel outdoor bud compared to indoor? And the reason why I ask this is because, you know, I love outdoor. Well, Maybe I should say I love the idea of outdoor, but the reality is I just still haven't found any outdoor bud that makes me feel like this is
1: better than indoor. I think it needs to be um, there are certain lines that want to be run outdoor as opposed to indoor, being the old Colombians, the old ties, stuff like that. They really truly express better outdoor than indoor. But it, like modern lines, it's rare that you'll find something grown outdoor organically and all that that, that really does compare to what you can get in a uh, in a room that's, that's built for that line. But with that said, I mean, some of these old ties, the old Colombians, they only They only do well outdoors. There's a lot of lines that I have that I don't run, that I keep, old heirloom and land race lines because I don't have an outdoor space and I don't want to do them the disservice of trying to grow them indoor and not getting their full, the full range of phenotypes and expressions because they were always grown outdoor and never acclimated for indoor. So
0: with that being said, what's the most medicinal strain for you personally? Like what kind of cures things the best for you?
1: um uh, my riot berry line helped with my depression um i think that's from its Thai expressions in it um it helped i had a tooth abscess for like two weeks nothing was helping no no narcotic pills nothing was fucking helping it was it was excruciating pain and that riot berry the second that i tried that even though recreational potency it was minimal minimal um but it helped with that pain, that nerve pain, and that's when I found that special medical uh, part of it.
0: Yeah, awesome answer. This is this is one I've got a lot of questions for, and uh, if you don't want to talk about it, I understand. But you know, I've a lot of a lot of people in the cannabis community. I don't want to say a lot, but you know, there's a substantial minority who come to cannabis because they're dealing with addictions in one form or another, and you know, they view this as a gateway to a better life. How has cannabis been involved in your life in regards to addiction? Like, how do you view it as like a tool to help overcome that? And what would be your message for people who maybe are looking to use cannabis as a means to help fight whatever kind of demon they're battling?
1: You know, in our in our community, there is a lot of shaming um, of people that use, uh, use or have used other drugs. Uh, but... From the era I came from, usually if you were dealing weed, you were dealing other shit too. And in dealing other shit, you usually got involved in other shit um, for personal use or otherwise. I've been pretty open about my use of uh, opiates and my my you know my past with heroin, my past with fentanyl, my past with all kinds of narcotics. Um, I I went on the whole gamut. It was it was a part of our punk rock scene. Unfortunately, a lot of my f- best friends have died because of it. Um, cannabis took me in a whole new direction. Uh, it gave me a lot of hope that I didn't have. Um, it gave me a, a, a way to kind of realize that I had value in this world, um, that I had something to offer this world, you know, aside from just playing punk rock music and being fucked up and just doing fucked up shit. Um, with that said, every day, there isn't a day that goes by that some of the people who don't like me don't call me a fucking junkie. That's They do it to be hurtful. But at the same time, it shows their ignorance and it shows their ability to understand that most of the old school dealt with this at some point. Most of a lot of the old breeders around were at one time dealing with opiate abuse. You know, it was just a part of the deal. Um, I wish people would stop the shaming because I mean, whether people want to admit it or not, cannabis is a drug. It is a drug. It affects your central nervous system. You can get high from it. That is a drug um, for all intents and purposes. Uh, whether you're using it for escaping reality or not, you it, it, or using it medically, that's up to you. You're, you know, it's it's what you can deal with yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror and be happy with. I, I try to be outspoken about um, the the harm reduction using cannabis as opposed to getting off of opiates using cannabis to do it. I try to be open about it and talk about it only because. Every time I do, I get messages from, you know, 20, 30 people thanking me saying, you know, I'm dealing with this and I'm scared to even talk about it out in the open because I don't want to be called a junkie like you get called a junkie. But if it helps them, if it, then that's, that's all that I give a fuck about. I don't care about the people who call me a junkie. They obviously don't know me, you know, but it, but it is, it's a hard stance to take in this community. And lately I've been seeing other breeders, um, family members of breeders come out and talk about their, their struggles with addiction and I'm I, it makes me so fucking proud to see it because it's not an easy stance to take. People are very, very judgmental in this community and you'd think this would be the most accepting community for it.
0: Yeah, that's a really wonderful sentiment. So just to kind of jump back to some of your work you're currently doing, I totally forgot to ask you about this earlier, my apologies. The Platinum Banana line, you mentioned it at the start, you know, it's obviously a very popular line. Do you have future plans to work it out further?
1: I do. Um, I need to get my mail back. Luckily, before the whole moon situation, I stored my mail with uh, Cecil um, uh, and White uh, uh, Yeast Farms has my mail as well. So hopefully I can get that back and and continue to work the line. It's very very special in uh breeding do- against dominant traits like the deep chunk um, is notorious for being a really hard plant to breed with. It always, always, always dominates everything that it touches. And uh, the platinum banana is one of those lines where it allowed the best traits of deep chunk to come through, which is the resin production, its uh, uh, density, and and its overall look, that beauty of the blackness that it has um but it's it's turps aren't that great and the potency it's okay but it's not the best and platinum banana allowed the best traits to come through and uh i'm really proud of that line the chunky monkey line um as well as the when i crossed it to the highland tie it allowed the best traits of the highland tie to come through the juicy fruit tie and uh and and kept with some of the banana traits kept that banana turp i mean when people people want banana OG it's usually cuz they're searching for banana terp's not because they want OG you can find OG anywhere but that banana terp is very special and it, and it and it brings that to every line it touches
0: yeah definitely i'm certainly on the lookout for that one but to jump to another hybrid uh, another maw you've been using recently You've been working with the Skittles Cube line, and I wanted to know what was it specifically about that? Like maybe, for example, it was the structure, or like the nose, or like whatever it may be. What was it about you that drew you towards that one? And what's your plans going forward with it?
1: I don't have any plans going forward with it. Um, what I found in the Z Cube line, the the male and how it bred was that it actually was nothing like this Gittles clone. Um, and that's what really drew me to it. I'm not I'm not too enthused about this Gittles clone. I had a friend that pushed me to pop a bunch of the, the Skittles stuff. He was saying, it's hype, you know, it's got the best shit. This is what people want. I wasn't enthused about it, but also I, I tried to remember, you know, I have my own views on stuff and maybe I need to open up, you know, and, and look at the way other people view shit. Maybe they know better than me in, in modern age with modern strains, because I don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, with that said, what I found, I loved in it. I found an old Hindu Kush-type plant that was fucking rank, absolutely rank, not fruity. Um, it does breed some fruity traits in certain lines, but they're recessive, so you don't see it as often. Um, but I loved everything it brought to all the lines that I crossed with it. Um, it just taking it back to a, a throwback Hindu Kush, and I thought that was fucking rad. Um, but with that said, it's not very skittlesy it's not what people expect from Skittles. So there is that, but I try to make that super clear.
0: Wow, that's, that's a really interesting point because I've got a friend who's about to pop uh, the same pack, I believe, and he asked me, he said, oh, do you think I'll find like Hindu Kush phenos? And I was like, oh, is that the mail they used initially? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, if it's a BX3, you probably shouldn't. Like, I mean, if they've done their job, you probably shouldn't.
1: If How they've do you done feel their about job. That? If they've <laughs> done their job. Like in a BX3, so backcrossing is perfect for stabilizing a single trait. And I think a lot of people, because of Brothers Grimm specifically with their work with C99 telling people that it makes a, a pure representation of a clone, that's not how it works. Breeding forward is the way to, to lock in several, several traits at once. Backcrossing locks in a single trait. Um, taking that to the BX3 it was very uniform, I'll say that, but it was so uniform and, and, and nothing like Skittles that they'd miss the mark like a motherfucker with it. Um, but I see that in a lot of back crosses. I don't think people understand the purpose of back crossing. And I think because of Brothers Grimm saying that, you know, yeah, this is how you back cross and get a perfect representation of the clone because technically it's, you know, 88% of the genetics, et cetera, et cetera. That's not how it really works, though. It's, it's for stabilizing a single trait and not multiple traits. Um, but they, it was uniform. It was uniform. I'll say that in structure and appearance, but it was nothing like Skittles at all. With that said, I've seen many people pop Z-Cube and get completely different but uniform things from that line. And I don't know that that line was really what they said it was. I don't know that they didn't take that line, whatever seeds they had and throw it into several different lines with different names. That's what I saw when popping a big wide swath of the dying breed stuff. Um, I like Shiloh. I don't, I I think Brandon was a kind of, I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Clown shoes. um, yeah
0: fuck dude that's my favorite thing that's ever come out of the cannabis community
1: oh the clown shoes one
0: dude just that one video like i would die a happy man having been involved with the cannabis community and just seeing that video like fuck it's brilliant
1: i it's saved on my phone forever forever
0: (laughs) please (laughs) send it to me please
1: oh yeah i'll send it to you oh god yeah i've kept it forever because it's, it's fucking hilarious but yeah that dude's a wing nut um Shiloh is, is is an interesting dude. I, I, he's likable, but I, I don't think that um, he was as involved with a lot of these projects as maybe he should be because you, people have all kinds of stories. Plants tell the truth. And when you pop you know 12 different strains from a company that are supposed to be 12 different things and they all look identical, there's an issue. There's an issue. They stuffed the seeds. They, they bait and switched.
0: Yeah. Wow. There you go. I have to let my buddy know. So just to jump on to something we spoke about earlier when you were talking about how, you know, different land races perform better outdoors and it's almost like, you know, a bit of an injustice to do them indoors. What are some land race lines that you would really love to see pop their heads up? You know, not necessarily that you think will because like, you know, someone's got the seeds or whatever, but you would just be really stoked if they did happen.
1: I'd like to see the lines that I selected of Colombian Black to pop up that Gage Green uh, used and claimed as his own. Um, I'd like to see that pop back up. And with that said, that was from Brazilian Seed Co., who is a well-known scammer. Um, one of, one of uh, kind of our circle's friends went over to his operation and saw how he was running it and that it was all cross-contamination, cross-pollination. So calling that line Colombian Black may not be a truism you know but it was the li- what he called the line and that specific line was really special and a lot of people used it over the years but I'd like to see it come back pure um I think Gage released it in something he called a bastard series which was probably because I selected it and he just wanted to fucking throw shade you know but it was special but it was a long 23 week 26 week line
0: yeah dude i think i actually had some of those seeds before uh, my seed collection a few years back got stolen so
1: damn oh. yeah that that hurts
0: yeah it's i feel like you haven't <laughs> haven't really been in the community for very long if you haven't had it happen to you
1: <laughs> oh yeah that's for sure dude it'll happen at some point that's it man so
0: What are some of the boxes that you're looking for, like a strain or a clone to tick before you bring it into the library? And are you regularly looking to bring new things into the library or are you just kind of waiting for something special to more so present itself?
1: You know, I go off. um, I don't really go hunting. I don't trade a lot with people. Um, With that said, I brought a lot in after the moon incident, but I don't do a lot of trading. which is funny because I, you know, I've been accused of stealing clones from people's rooms and shit. And I'm a hermit. I don't go into other people's rooms and I don't trade. I don't like trading. It's not a big thing that I do because of, of certain things like that. Um, I, when I look for bringing something in, it's usually because someone I really respect and trust tells me this shit is fucking insane. You've got to try it. Um, a lot of my friends know that Personally, like for my smoke, I can't smoke Afghani based stuff. It makes me paranoid and depressed So if they tell me it's something that's really special on a spectrum of, of something that I can smoke and enjoy That's something I, that, that interests me, especially if I respect that person and know that they really know good weed
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely on to our last questions before the quickfire ones it cool. incorporates your favorite person Subcool.
1: Oh, yeah my go.
0: buddy yeah buddy of everyone so <laughs> some people say that certain parents contribute certain uh, traits to offsprings you know and sub says that the male is what imparts the potency and the female is more like the structure have you ever found anything like yourself or do you just find it's a, it's a mix of random traits expressed from each parent and there's no like hard fast rule of thumb
1: there's, there's definitely no hard fast rule of thumb. Science tells us that. Different, different traits align differently with different parents. It's, there's no – that is such a bl- odd blanket statement. and tells me he has no fucking clue what he's talking about when it comes to breeding. Um, everything is a case-by-case case, uh, basis, not just strain by strain, but pheno by pheno, how those traits and alleles will, will align, with, align with each other. So, yeah, there, there's no way to do that. With that said, I remember Neville saying specifically with Hayes, that he did not like how the female haze bred, but he liked how the male haze is bred. That it imparted the best traits of haze. And with someone like that that worked so extensively with the haze, I would I would probably uh, listen to him in that fashion. But with that said, it won't be always in a case. It's it's a case by case and parent by parent and uh, basis. You know, you really have to to keep that in mind. In science, things don't line up necessarily all the time the same ways.
0: Yeah. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, he's a retard. <laughs> so, on to our last questions. <laughs> I need to have a little thing where it's like the views expressed on the show are not exactly that of my
2: own. <laughs> you know yeah, you do. You really do. Um, yeah.
0: So, on to our last set of questions. Um, first and foremost, I want to, I want to run some similar ones by, by what we wrapped up with last time to see if your point of view has changed at all. So the first one, what is your
1: favorite strain of all time? Uh, it'd be a few, it'd be the Bubba Sativa, um, my Clockwork Orange and riot berry. So I I don't remember what I said last time, but that's, oh, East Coast Sour Diesel Strawberry Cream from CBF. That is the best uh, male I've ever found from anything for being true breeding and and breeding amazing traits.
0: Nice, last time you said riot berry.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's always gonna be tops.
0: Yeah, I think you even mentioned Bubba Sativa in the mix as well. So there's some consistency, I dig it, I dig it. So (laughs) next one, what is the worst strain in your opinion?
1: Buckeye purple
0: shots fired
1: yeah uh, yeah, I remember see there are a few people that would be a lot less respected if C Depot the old forum was still around but they scammed a lot of people so they shut their forum down but there are a few people from that forum that have made some really bold claims lately whether they're saying that Urkel is from their family or they're saying they created Buckeye Purple out of old Northern Lights genetics that you know this and that um, Mel Van, she started not that many years ago. It was during the Sea Depot days. We saw, we all saw her first grows. We saw her bragging about buying Bodies, you know, recently released NL5 line, and uh, we saw the trash that she was putting out there, known as as Buckeye Purple. It's garb. Um, people probably hadn't been. As, as knowledgeable about Chitrali and its beautiful magenta traits and, and stuff that it throws and that it dries pretty brown for the most part and smells like hay. And um, they look at that, it looks pretty in magenta and that's new to them, so they go for it. But I've rarely met anyone that goes, damn, that's some dank shit, you know, uh, that, that's actually smoked it and run it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a valid point. So, next one. This is a bit of a new one, but I love asking all of our new guests. Uh, what's your favorite food
1: favorite food Choco tacos (laughs) Choco tacos and and what was that shit at Disneyland the pineapple I can't remember what it's fucking called off the top of my head but it's at the Tiki room you can get these pineapple things uh, iced pineapple things that are delicious oh man I wouldn't
0: know but you got my mouth watering
1: yeah it's it's fucking delicious but yeah, Choco Tacos and um, bread. I like bread a lot. Okay.
0: What? sourdough, whole grain, what are we talking?
1: I, I like yeast rolls that are kind of sweet and Hawaiian rolls that are sweet.
0: Yeah, dude, sweet Hawaiian rolls are the fucking bomb.
1: Aren't they, dude? I can eat, like I literally eat that all the time, all the time. I stay yeah. fully stocked.
2: Too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll definitely leave that in.
2: <laughs> <Yeah. No. laughs>
0: Alrighty, so <laughs> the next question. You're on a desert island. You can only take two strains with you. You don't have to cultivate them. You've just somehow got an endless supply. What two?
1: Um, if I were going to cultivate them, it would be NL5 and Haze. Just because I know how much variance comes from NL5 Haze and how much amazing shit uh, has resulted from it. If I only had it to smoke Riot Berry and Bubba Sativa. And maybe, maybe Silver Pearl. Maybe Silver Pearl in there. I'm, I'm pretty... A pretty big fan of the silver pearl cut pips has
0: man that's one that doesn't get a lot of you know good publicity and I always thought maybe it was because like early pearl was like you know more of like that cash crop of variety and obviously it used silver pearl what's what's the real silver pearl like
1: um, if you if you go and look at his feed I, I, I suggest that anybody who listens to this goes and checks out at the at sign pips on Instagram he's got beautiful pictures up of it it's it it's it's very photogenic like any modern variety, crazy resin production, it is not narcotic potent. It is It is not. It's a very clear-headed, quality, sativa-type high on an indica frame. Um, what people would normally associate with a sativa-type high, it, you can find that high in Afghanis. You can find it everywhere. It's not necessarily a sativa-type high, but it's what people would normally associate with sativas, and I fucking love that thing. Plus, my girlfriend has lupus, and it treats the nausea from lupus. For her, it, insanely, nothing treats it better. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, it's a special plant.
0: There you go. Something we all need to keep an eye out for.
1: Yeah, all right. He's got a kung fu grip on it though, so <laughs> ain't nobody getting it I don't even have it. so <laughs> yeah
0: no, there you go. So final question for our interview today. What is one strain where if you could go back in time and get it, you would the one you would pick to go back and kind of save from being lost to uh, you know the ages.
1: Steve Murphy's Afghani or the Afghan tea?
0: You're those two to, you're gonna have to fill us in a little more on what they are
1: so Steve Murphy's Afghani is the basis for all Northern Lights uh, Northern Lights 1 through 12 I believe were all based on the Steve Murphy Afghani line each with different parents combined in it um, Afghan T is what Neville said was the basis for uh, super skunk and he said it was from the Maple Leaf line but I don't believe that I think it's an Afghani one selection and it's responsible for all the chems, all the sours, all the OGs. That's that that's that special, special plant. And I think that's why I would choose those two specific lines. Um, you know, there's chocolate tie and other lines I'd love to see. But if I had to go back and rescue two strains, it would be those two.
0: What a fantastic selection. Ha! Awesome. Good one, huh? <laughs> so, with that being said, did you have any comments or shout outs you wanted to make?
1: Uh, yeah, shout out to, to all the people who helped me after the moon debacle. Um, Matt Elite from Elite Cannabis, one of my best friends on Earth. Um, Big Red for going and getting my seeds back from Moon because I was no longer in Michigan. Um, he's been a good friend to me. Surfweed for taking beautiful shots of the banana tie. Um, all of our, our Can Illuminati crew, the pre pre, um, all the guys that, you know, Denali, uh, I, actually, I shouldn't name them, never mind. But all those guys, they know it. Um, CSI Humboldt and Bodhi of course for being fucking amazing friends and just being good mentors both of them and being good human beings and uh, you know there's so many more people I could shout out but yeah those, those are the, the ones that are constantly closest to me my buddy Resen Long who right now is, is taking a hiatus from life and kind of disappeared um, he's one of my best friends on earth and I hope I see his, uh, his, his smiling face again soon
0: yeah that sounds like a wonderful message I hope we all see him back soon Um, yeah he's amazing yeah for sure so with that being said thank you so much for coming on the show and for dropping all the knowledge and the shots fired and the controversy bombs where would we be without (laughs) it
1: (laughs) thanks for having me brother
0: not a problem as always a big thank you to Matt for taking the time to come on the show what did you guys think Thought it was killer. Shabinsky, Feng Shen, Cali Khan, come on the show. Make sure, as always, guys, if you enjoyed it, check out the Patreon. Plenty more exclusive content there for you. Helps to make sure the show keeps happening. As always, a big shout out to our sponsors, Radio Ridge Nursery, the one and only, our newest sponsors. Seeds here now, best in the business. 420 Australia, Organic Gardening Solutions, Patreon Gang. As always, big old shout out to the one and only Dragonfly Earth Medicine. We love y'all. Yeet yeet. Just kidding. I actually hate myself for doing that. I'll see you.